Triangle Squared Game Awards. Merry Christmas, y'all. Hello and welcome to Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. I am your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, Mr. Saw Bridges, bringing you guys Lucky 92, episode 92. That's a new table, so a new sound. New table, new sound. And secondarily, are you sure it's 92? Pretty sure. We're going to roll with it. We're going to say it's 92. <laughs> Did my laptop finally die? I think my laptop finally died. Uh-oh. All right, well, so go check it out. Do I'm going to go check it out so we can do Just in case you guys uh, are wondering why this episode might be late, uh, just by a little bit, take a look around us for you uh, podcast listeners or audio listeners. You're all podcast listeners, I guess. But if you're True. if you're an audio listener, come to YouTube and check out our brand new set that Brett has worked very hard for, slaved hours on. So everybody in the comments, everybody in Discord, everybody on Twitter – Tweet at us or talk to us and congratulate and thank Brett for this new professional looking set. Brett did this all, like all all the paint, everything. This is completely new and redone. So everybody give Brett a round of applause. I give myself a round of applause. It's been a lot of work and I'm very tired from it. But the other thing you might want to see in case that wasn't enough to pull you through is our nice festive set. I want you to, our nice, it's more than just the, you know, this is a new set, but this is more so christmas themed today and i'm wearing a nice looking playstation sweater what episode that, uh, did i say this was 92 it's 91 <laughs> i had a feeling but i was like we'll see all right well welcome to episode 90, 91. 91 uh if this is your first time joining us for some odd reason first of all merry christmas yes. uh, this is a christmas eve episode and we're recording on christmas eve this is going on in the morning like saul said so it might be a little bit late but you can normally find us on monday at 12 p.m. CST and 10 a.m. PST on YouTube and video format. If you like what we're doing there, subscribe and uh, hit the little bell notification to let you know when our episodes come live. There is a lot of stuff that's going to be happening in the new year. Uh, new set brings new opportunities and new ideas that we are rolling through. So uh, this is kind of our, uh, our our shot at growing a little bit. <clears throat> With that said, you can also find us um, on audio-only format or in audio-only format on podcast services, be it Spotify, Google Play Music, iTunes, all that mess. <clears throat> Excuse me, my milk from my cereal is uh, wanting to burp up. I don't want to do that. Oh yeah, no, That's it's good cereal though. It's it's fruity pebbles, and everybody who everybody loves fruity pebbles. It's impossible not to love. If you, you don't take, love fruity pebbles, then I, I think I might be angry at you. But it's okay. I'll life, forgive you. Life changing hack: two scoops of ice cream, a cup of milk, and fruity pebbles into a into a blender and make a milkshake out of it. That sounds incredibly good. It is. <laughs> I used to do that a lot. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Back good. when I was a chubby little kid. <laughs> Saul was a chubby little kid. We should put pictures of us as children up one of these days. I'm going to laugh at you. I literally can go home uh, whenever I go grab your Christmas present and take a picture of me out of the photo album. I'll put it in Discord. I like the kid from Heavyweights. <laughs> By the way, that was me. If you're going to get a Google sign-in alert, that was me. Okay, cool. Uh, anyway, uh, like I said, you can find us in audio-only format, Spotify, Google Play Music, all those. You have an Android, iPhone, computer, whatever you're listening on, you can do it. So there, you can find us on social media at Triangle SQRD for our Twitter, where we go on and we have our reader mail tweets, which we'll go into that in a little bit. Uh, we also have a Facebook group, and that is a Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. That's the group. If you uh, go and request to join, we'll gladly let you in, and we do stuff over there. Saul is absent from there because uh, he doesn't have a Facebook, but that's okay. I do. And and we have plenty of other people from the community in. And you can find us on Discord where the conversation never ends. And that link is in the description below. Uh, so be, you know, we invite anyone to jump in, have a lot of conversations with us. And uh, stays pretty active most of the time. I've been away because of this and sickness and kidney stones. But I'm a father now. Um, now? Of, of a kidney stone. Oh, okay. 
yeah, different kind of father. Uh, it, it changed me in different ways, but also similar ways. Yeah, they're no fun. Yeah. I, had, I had a real bad stomach flu. Like this, this whole like for, from Monday up until like technically Thursday, I was not good. Like okay. so for those in Discord and on Twitter who did not see me much, you know why? Like I, I promise you, I was not good. Even at Sean, like I was throwing up at work. <laughs> I was like, I'd go home. I was like, no. Nah, and Saul have. doesn't miss work. Yeah, I don't he ever. Doesn't. I, I don't ever call into work unless it, I really have to. He's got impeccable work ethic. I'm proud of him. All right, but with that said, today's episode is going to be different from our standard episode. Uh, one of the first things that we're going to go ahead and get into is that today's episode will not have news. That is not something that's just going away for good. But we do not have news today uh, because of the fact that this episode's already news is slowed down. There's a couple of things like the Sam. There it went. <laughs> the Sam Raimi Spider-Man suit is now in Spider-Man. That's just a quick cool. thing. Yeah, uh, a lot of people complained about it, uh, and I think it was handled in a very interesting way where people complained. And enough people have gone into that, and I feel the exact same way. I don't necessarily think it's fair to try and have these people who have been beating down on Insomniac when they've obviously been working on this for a while. Uh, and, of course, not only that, the rights they had to get from a bunch of different things, which probably wasn't as hard because Sony is behind this and Marvel, but there's still some stuff that had to go down, I'm sure. Uh, with that said, though, that is one thing. Uh, if you played Darksiders 3 or had any interest in it and maybe didn't want to get it because it was too Dark Souls-like for you, they have gone back and made a classic mode for combat where you can actually play, and it's more forgiving. It's got more invisible frames. You can uh, dodge mid-attack now instead of having to commit to your attack. If those are things that you're into. Uh, go pick that game up or play it again, and you may enjoy it even more if you uh, wanted it to play a little more like the other games. I personally liked it. It switched things up. But that's about all I want to get into on the new side. There will not be a drop this episode. No there typically drop. is no drop on Christmas anyway stuff, so we're just going to leave that alone. Uh, be sure the, that you're keeping up with the holiday sales that are going on right now. There's a flash sale. that January sales early. Yeah, they're, they're, the flash sale may be over. I don't quite know because they're flash only weekends. Tomorrow. No, they end on Tuesday mornings. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. So they last four days? I thought they were over the weekend only. Maybe maybe flash sales are different, but I thought they all lasted till Tuesday. Somebody correct me. Somebody let me know. I don't know. Yeah, but the holiday sales moving through. We're in week two of the holiday sales is what it looks like right now. So there's more to that. Uh, keep an eye on those. They change every week, it looks like. Some of them, I'm sure, will stay. Uh, but with that being said, the point of this episode and part of the reason we're not going to do reader mail is... Got an announcement. So if you love reader mail, I have good news. If you don't like Reader Mail, I also have good news. So, <laughs> Reader Mail is gone, but not completely. It what a is, way to uh, word it. It's like if you did or didn't like it, it's gone either, either way. It's uh there Reader Mail will no longer be a part of the weekly shows. So, what we're going to do now instead is that on Twitter and on our Facebook group and now on our YouTube comments. Uh YouTube comments is going not going to be on our schedule really, but on YouTube and on Facebook, we're going to put out a post on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. On Twitter, we're just going to put out one post on a Monday, and then we're going to retweet it on Wednesday and on Friday. So we're going to give you guys an extra day to ask questions. Then, instead of answering any of them on the actual show, we're going to allot that that normal 30 minutes to an actual to more discussion in the news or to more discussion in the main topic. We're going to keep the episodes pretty much the same length. This is more so we don't feel rushed in discussing things in the news or things in the main topic. Also, you're going to get your questions answered. Now it's going to come, instead of a weekly reader mail, I mean monthly reader mail, it's going to come bi-weekly. So we're going to revamp reader mail completely. The first episode should be out technically next Friday. 
Um, yep, it will still it will hit the original schedule the first Friday of every month. Yeah, uh, and then for this move, first one, yeah, yeah, then it'll move from there. So any questions that you asked throughout December that have not been answered yet, there will be reason. Any of the ones that obviously we don't get to in this episode, they are going to be answered, and that means that the first episode is probably going to be quite lengthy because of the way that it's going. Uh, but then from there, the readers' mails will be more often, but a little shorter, most likely. Yeah, unless y'all just pump us full of questions, y'all can kind of y'all is... y'all will determine that. Uh, but part of the reason I think and saw didn't quite get there and i may have stolen it from you you but, did <laughs> but would you agree that part of the reason we're doing this a is like you said uh maybe slimline and focus the show a little slimline more. and focus the show and i'm then, gonna say slimline i guess focus the show yeah more focusing on topics and news in the show uh to engage us a little bit more uh but it's also going to be to help us be there's been a little a little bit less engagement in reader mail lately um so this is going to kind of help not only get more tweets out there and more posts out there because you get the one a day, one extra day, and you're going to get that across Facebook and Twitter, but we're now going to ask you guys to ask us questions in the YouTube comments. If yep. you get a question selected in the YouTube comments, we're going to like it, and that's how you're going to know, you're going to know that, uh, that we're going to answer it in the Reader Mail episodes. Uh, you'll have the little Nartec Gaming liked this, and it'll be a badge of honor, basically, saying, hey, you're going to get this answered on the show. Uh, or honestly, love, actually. It's a heart symbol. Yeah, it's a, but... yeah, it's a heart symbol. So... Uh, that way you know, obviously, for those that are going to watch on YouTube, don't ask troll questions because you're not going to get them answered. That's kind of the selection process we're going to use is liking it to let you know. Uh, that way, if you ask us a question and you don't get a like on it, it may be something we've answered previously in the past. It may be something we don't have an answer for. We're not going to be able to answer, obviously, all YouTube questions. So we're going to pick our favorites and answer those on the shows as well. And they are a little harder to field in terms of the the, the thing about social media that allows us to put specific posts that wrangle them all together and have them in one spot, which makes it a lot easier to move through and keep up with. The YouTube ones have a chance a chance be it of, of being more scattered. Uh, part of obviously the, the idea of a new set is to get a little more engagement from the YouTube side. We've had it. We've <clears throat> had a YouTube since day one, uh, but it's obviously the lesser of our traffic income. Uh, so part of this is to try and make a more visually pleasing set. Uh, some of that's also going to bleed into the sound. One of the things that comes with a new set and we're just not quite there because of money and time. Um, is we're going to work on improving the audio quality as well for people who do listen audio only. Even though I do think, I pride myself in thinking that we are pretty good considering our nature and uh, our scope and size in comparison to some. I think that uh, I've been told multiple times, and I'm glad, that part of the reason that people have even bothered to listen to our podcast is because they were able to make it through an entire episode when other podcasts just sounded like dirt. Like, yeah, like tinfoil. But... Uh, we hope you guys are okay with these changes for reader mail. Like there won't be any reader mail this episode, obviously, because this is a normal episode. Uh, and and I think that the people that do watch us on on YouTube that don't have Facebook or Twitter accounts or don't want to make one, uh, it, everybody has a YouTube account as your Google account. So, so you have you can, a way to field yeah. questions in for us, and uh, we will do our best to work those in. And I mean, we will definitely keep up with them. Part of this new year kind of mindset, which is happening anyway. I mean, it wasn't necessarily aimed to be a new year, new show they kind, kind of, of thing. Just roll out that way. Uh, but one of the things that we are going to do is we're putting the onus on us more to make sure that we make that we are actually scheduling the reader mail tweets correctly, the Facebook one. Yep. correctly that's something the facebook one is one i've had a problem with uh but we're setting up a lot of uh systems behind the scenes that will remind us to do these things adequately so that we 
a get them out there for y'all and, and then hopefully y'all engage a little bit more and give us uh, even more questions and for those of you who have been giving us questions it's also holidays i'm sure it's part of the slowdown uh but we appreciate it right it's really yeah fun. we we always love questions from you guys especially and, uh, the repeat uh, offenders i should say <laughs> like the uh, that's gonna Kiki be our new and, yeah our repeat and, offenders. and richard we love them because they always ask really good questions so uh one last thing on reader mail is that starting this this next one december will be the last one we're at the end of the year Starting in January for January Reader Mail, it's not going to be called January. Uh, it's just going to we're just going to roll it out as one. So episode one of the new Reader Mail, then two, then three, then four. We're going to basically number it like we number these, and I think that's going to be a consistent way. There's not going to be January part one, part two. It's just going to be January. Or it's just going to be one, two, three, four, and uh, we think that'll be pretty consistent. And I'm going to look into it because I, my schedule doesn't always allow it, but I'm actually going to look right now at an app uh, for Twitter. Specifically, let me schedule tweets because if I can, uh, we're going to try to have the tweets out every Monday, the same time the show goes live. So the, the, at 10 a.m. Central uh, or 10 a.m. Pacific, uh, noon Central, when this show goes live, there will be a tweet already live that is asking you guys to ask us questions. And it will be retweeted at the same time on Wednesdays and Fridays. I'm going to see if that works. If it doesn't, check it out. It will be there sometime on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, preferably early in the morning on Central time. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, so. we'll, we'll see how that ends up working out. Uh, but with that, that also, uh, I think the last thing I want to say about reader mail real quick is that uh, the reason that we also like the <clears throat> idea of separating reader mail out is that uh, reader mail questions sometimes go into a little bit of a more uh, funny territory and we like the ability to say hey we're just going to do reader Open mail up. and be a little more lax with it one thing that we talk, we do on this show and it was a conscious decision that we made pretty early on uh, is that we would keep this show relatively clean because of what we're trying to achieve with this show which is giving our opinions of course and not necessarily in a super strict or stern fashion uh, we still like this to feel like it's just us hanging out and talking about things but we like to do it through the scope of giving our opinion in a clean and concise way that anybody can listen to. And I think that that's something I've argued for a long time. I think when you are giving an actual opinion and you want your opinion to be respected and heard, uh, and I can't control whether y'all respect my opinion, but I can do my best to make it uh, easy to try and respect what I'm saying. Part of that is by being calm, rational, and not, you know, not throwing in a bunch of cuss words and, and getting upset and frustrated. I mean, you know, one of the things that we do like in the show, and I noticed a lot of people have said that they like as well, is that me and Saul will sometimes get into heated arguments, but the even our heated disagreements are still friendly. Are, are civil and friendly, and we don't, you know, and, and that's partially just because of how me and Saul are anyway, uh, I think. But it's also because of the fact that, I mean, generally speaking, we don't want the show to devolve. Now, when we go into reader mail, sky's the limit we'll say and do anything we want that means we'll be a little more loose with our language i occasionally will curse on here but i try to keep that to a minimum as well uh in case you're wanting to listen to this you know be it around employees or whatever if you listen at work if you listen in a car with children these are things i keep mindful of and because of the nature of the show i don't see necessarily the point of being overly vulgar by any standard but as we move into the reader mails being separate uh, there's a good chance they're going to be a lot more goofy and interesting. Yeah, it's going to be much more, much of an a 18 plus show. So it's going to, and we have something else uh, we're going to talk about today off uh, off topic of this show. So uh, you guys possibly be listening out for that. I did download an app that uh, will let me uh, a new Twitter client app for my phone that will mm. let me schedule tweets. So you guys do check out our Twitter every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, noon central, the same time the episode goes live, and you will see a reader mail tweet for us to ask us a question. 
And if you are, like I said, YouTuber that uh, that wants a question answered, ask us in the comments below of every episode. I'm going to skim every episode's comments and find questions to answer. Uh, we're not going to put a limit on these kind of questions. So if you ask us, uh, you know, 10 or 15, then 10 or 15 may get in and we like them enough. So yeah. we always encourage you guys to ask us serious uh, questions. They can be funny. They can be fun. But I don't want, like, you know, like just troll questions. I can't even think of any. But, like, yeah, just, yeah, just be like, have a like. Just basically have it a question we can answer and have fun with it. And it can be personal. It can be like, what's our favorite food? We always encourage people to do that. The, the whole point of Reader Mail at the very beginning was to make it personal, to make it to let you guys know who we are outside of this, to, to basically make everyone who's listening feel closer as a friend instead of just a, stran a stranger on the Internet. So we, uh, we like that. We found friends through this, and I think that's a good way of uh, – I think it's been fun doing that that way too. Like, yep. Yep. But absolutely, a uh, couple other things I want to talk about before we move into the uh, main, you know, gist of the show. Uh, like we've said, more opportunities come, so I don't want to fully flesh any of these out, but they are definitely coming in the first weeks of January to some extent. Uh, as I figure out exactly how to do them within the confines of our new area and setup, uh, one of those things is we're going to be doing some form of a bonus episode show. Uh, and I, what I want to say actually is it may not be bonus episodes. I think part of what I want to do with it. Uh, we are triangle squared, but we are doing all of this under a bigger umbrella that we made, which is uh, Nartech gaming. And what we do uh, with that, we already have had ideas of things we want to do. So, uh, one thing we want to do is like start streaming more and we're going to bring back a series that we originally were doing on the channel and it's going to come back as a streaming thing. Most likely we're still working out the exacts of that, uh, but it's called party plays and we have uh, some episodes of that already on. They're old and they're rough quality. I would not suggest watching them, but they're there should for be, history. Should sake. be three episodes, right? Yeah, I think. Uh, but anyway, we're going to try and refocus that and remove that into something that's going to be uh, streamed on Twitter. I mean, on Twitter on Twitch and then um, move. Yeah. <laughs> and then moved uh, from Twitch to uh, YouTube uh, a couple days later. Uh, that way we can have a little more live interaction with people in that sense. And then, uh, of course, we just have uh, the ability to have a little bit more content that does make its way to YouTube for the people that actually want to watch that stuff on YouTube without necessarily interacting with us live. Um, so that's one thing, of course. But we also have ideas of what we're going to do completely outside of gaming, potentially. We are working on that. But the one that is going to be more focused toward gaming that I want to do is uh, essentially bring in a series where we have uh, guest people on, be it hosts from other gaming podcasts or people that we have uh, ran into and formed connections with uh, throughout this endeavor. And we'll have them come on, and they'll kind of control the topic for the most part, uh, I think is where I stand on it right now. And we'll let them kind of have a conversation, be it maybe with just me or just Saul or both of us, depending on how schedules line up. And that will be something uh, that we are going to dive more into currently that is in my mind as something we're going to move into and as a uh, buff for Patreon, because that's the other thing I want to move into is that we are going to be not only adding more shows and that's our plan. And we're going to have to have time to get that done uh, and working on that and make sure we have logos and intros and everything. But of course we also, <clears throat> Speaking of logos, we got that new logo, son. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so with, with that, we also want to change up our Patreon and get far more involved with what we're doing with Patreon. Uh, part of this cost was actually subsidized by Patreon. Uh, and, of course, the cost of hosting the show. These are things that just give us a lot more flexibility and ability to add and try and do more. So for those of you who do support us on Patreon, I really support it. I mean, I really support it. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and if Thank anybody else wants to support us, I mean, you can do so at any level you want. But we appreciate you even just listening to us. Yeah. I often 
say the fact that we have even roughly 500 people who want to listen to what I have to say, uh, if not more, sometimes a week is kind of cool. Um, and, and a lot of people, I feel like, feel like Patreon, you know, they may not see or they may not, they don't know what people are spending their money on necessarily. So they're weary about it. But yeah. And I think the other side of this, I, I do want to address the elephant in the room right now. I know Patreon is in some controversy. Um, they are. Yeah. I'm not going to get into it because it's a lot of controversy. I'll have to look up on this. I had no um, idea. That, so well, if you don't want to use Patreon, week, so we get it as well. Um, so yeah. it's just one of those things. Like we said, we appreciate the support of all levels. Uh, but for those who do, who, who do give us your money, we really appreciate that as well because it does allow us to do a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and as we move in, uh, those of you who give us your time may be able to help us in terms of ad revenue and stuff like that, depending on how we do that. We've, these are things That's, that I, I want to be clear on. These are things that we don't have enough of a grasp on to understand how they work. Uh, so this show has not had any kind of ad money. The only money we've ever brought in through this show has been through Patreon. Um, so, so you guys can actually see what we use the Patreon money for. Like we're not out going to strip clubs or whatever it could be with with Patreon money. Oh, <laughs> like that's where you go. Yeah, like, I was like, well, it's, what's the number one thing we're going to do? First of all, I want everybody to know we had this conversation with Liam and Sarah. We do not even have a strip club in Texarkana that I'm aware of. Uh, oh, there's one. We have a strip club? Yeah, you don't want to go to it. Wait, the shoot? Cause that's no, not... that is not a strip club. You may see somebody stripping, but that is not a strip club. I did not uh, know we had a strip club. It's, Look, it's I'm very, learning. It's very backdoor. Uh, oh, it's that, not something you really no, that, that's, see. That's illegal. I, <laughs> I, oh, very. And it's it's some it's in a very bad part of town. Okay, yeah, I'm not I'm not dealing with that. Imagine the worst part of town. Well, it's on Texas side. If I say imagine the worst part of town on Arkansas side, we all go to the one the one area that's that way. <laughs> but if you uh, or technically that. I was right. Yeah, that yeah, way. you're right. Uh, but then look, it, these are things that these people don't know about. Let's. Yeah, this is this is what the off-topic podcast would be for. Let's tighten up and focus up. We can talk about the horrors of Texas yeah, so, at so another point. Just so you guys uh, are aware, like this is like what we have in mind with Patreon. It's to help out the show. Um, there is no plans for me and Brett to retire our careers early to live off Patreon. So if it gets that Not big, well, then we really place. appreciate you guys. But if it, but as what we have now, it's mainly for shipping out stuff for giveaways. It is for helping stuff with this. It is for the, it's, you know, it's paying mainly it's shipping and then show costs really. Yeah. It, because it, we both work full-time jobs. We both work 45 plus hours a week. So yeah. don't be wrong. Like I say, some of this was subsidized because of Patreon, which is awesome. A lot of this was personal money. A lot of this was personal money. So, um, with that said, I just look. I wanted to do something nice, and I think it looks good. Well, how about Sue this? Me. How about this then? When you go ahead and use use money for the Patreon, pay for it, and then I'll pay for the subscriptions coming up. I mean, I, I wasn't talking about. Look, Saul's over here getting offended that I said personal money. I just mean no, no. That. I'm just talking about to help to help you out. Yeah. Anyway, look, we will get into that later. I'm getting hot in this sweater. This was a, a you're getting, poor you're choice. Almost red in the face. I, it was a poor choice of wearing like dude. a strawberry. These lights, <laughs> these lights are so bright. Let's move into this main stuff. The main idea that we wanted to share with that is that there's just a lot of changes coming, uh, and this is the first of many that you can visually see and go ahead and eventually you'll be able to hear some too as we uh, get a little bit more of our audio equipment Gotta get coming that cloud this way. Lifter. Uh, anyway, Saul, the main Brett. gist of this episode is to handle not only our game award, so what games we want to give, but also the community game awards. Uh, we posted to the Facebook group, the Discord, uh, the um, Twitter, and we had uh, not only uh, initially we had tweets to go out to see what uh, categories, we'll call them, you wanted to see uh given to the game awards for the community thing. So what we did is we set it up. We did that. We took the ones that were mentioned the most and we, and if they were mentioned more than once, they did guarantee made it. Right. Uh, other ones that were mentioned once that I liked, which was, I think maybe one, I can't remember, uh, ended up making it in. 
But for the most part, we let the uh, community decide what the awards were going to be. Most of them are pretty standard run-of-the-mill, like you would expect, but there are a couple of odd, funny ones that I thought was a pretty interesting idea for a game award. Uh, So we'll go into those. But on top of that, not only are the categories uh, by the community, we went from there and then posted the categories to all these places and then had uh, essentially my favorite way of doing a vote. You don't, we don't just have nominees. And thankfully, this is kind of driven by our ability to be, since we're a little bit smaller, we can kind of actually filter these things pretty easily. Uh, We just had it to where you responded with whatever your answer truly was for each category. And whichever one was mentioned the most was the undoubted winner. Uh, It's more of a a, traditional true voting system system where it's it's, it's just a ballot, pretty much. You're you're not filling out a ballot. You're just telling us what you want in a tally system. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Uh, So with that, we are going to go through each one of these categories, and we're going to first say what the community game award was and then ours. uh and then we're going to move into what our awards for it is that's that's how we did last year right yeah okay. this is I really much going to be our tradition yeah i, I mean, really like this format uh i think it's a fun and uh it's very interactive and, and i like the community nature. involvement in this particular part uh so the first thing up yeah, and so shout out to you guys who uh who participated on twitter and yeah. uh i know we had a couple in discord as well that kind of gave us our answers there who, yeah we had facebook there twitter. was a couple on facebook Still oh, yeah. working on Facebook, growing a little bit. We have far more people on Twitter, so but we will figure that out. First uh, category up is the category of best new indie developer. Uh, there are a couple of new indie games or uh, new indie games that came out, new IP that came out that were made by first time developers and development crews. And the one that was mentioned on the cat- the community side of this category was actually Digital Sun Games, and that's Moonlighter, a game that I actually really still want to play. But I've had a, with with all the stuff I have had going on, um, I've not been able to play a lot of the games that I really was uh, stoked for. Hollow Knight being one of them. Uh, Moonlighter being one of them. There's plenty. I've tried to keep up with as many as I can. And I've done well. But um, yeah, Digital Sun Games, Moonlighter. So if you've not checked the game out, go check it out. It looks good. And uh, see what the community is raving about. Looks really good. It does look really, really good. I know Switch. Sean really liked it. There's a lot of Final Fantasy references and stuff in it as well. And it's an interesting idea. Um, so go check it and the game out if you've not heard of it uh, and see what it's about. Saul, if this is a weird one, what are you going to go with? Twin Motion. It's a, well, it's a tie. It's Twin Motion or Team Cherry. Okay, Team Cherry is um, Hollow, Knight. Hollow Knight. Yeah, and Twin Motion for those that don't know is Dead Cells. Dead Cells. Um, and I think I'm personally, and I know that we had different experiences with the game to an extent. I would like to at least throw White Rabbit Games out into the mix. Uh, they were, oh yeah, they Death were Gambit. Death Gambit. Yeah, um, man, that's okay. So that's a three way tie. If I was, if I had to pick one, I would say Twin Motion. Twin Motion, Dead Cells was a very surprising experience. This gen, I was not, or this uh, this year, I was not expecting something of such high quality and such uh, just replayability to come from that game. I bought it twice, once on my Switch and once on my PS4 so I can play it. We did streams of it, which were really fun. That game overall was really, really good. Um, it's the perfect pick-up-and-play game, which I, it has it over for Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight is more of a sit back, relax, and like get in, involved into this game. And yeah, it's that's game. It's also pick up and play. I'm trying to too. think of the, the the best way to word it, but I mean, I think you've you've nailed it on the head at least to some extent. Hollow Knight is involved from what I've seen played of yeah. it. And I want to make sure I'm going to make it clear that I've not gotten to play it, but I've seen a lot of it, and that was essentially what got me so hyped on it. Uh, it's got a beautiful art style. Uh, I think it has a cool idea. It's got a it's it's got an incredible value. 
to it yes, because it it's a very cheap game. I think it's fifteen dollars, and it's like a forty-hour game. That's really crazy. I mean, even if you want to say thirty, you know, I, I don't. Mean, know. I'm trying to think. Is it fifteen dollars or nineteen? Even if it's nineteen, dude. About, still, yeah, I want. I'm pretty sure it's fourteen ninety nine. Um, yeah, I highly recommend picking it up. But yeah, it's got a great price tag, and typically for indie games that do sit in that price range, you don't see that kind of length from them. Uh, at least when they are games that have a full, like because Death Gambit has a actual length to it. Death Gambit was probably about ten hours, nine hours. I want to say a memory, but maybe not even quite that long. Like five hours. No, I wasn't that sure if you were actually exploring. Now, of course, you can okay. beat those games yeah. quicker. I was like, technically. I want to make that clear. There are yeah. there are optional bosses and I there are different routes. I got borderline halfway through the game in like, <laughs> in like 30 minutes that we did the little speedrun thing. Yeah, for. yeah. when you know where you're going, it's just like it's, Dark Souls. You can run yeah. through it quickly if you wanted to. Uh, but, I mean, traditional sitting down and play when you haven't had experience with it, you're probably going to spend around eight hours for it, I, I would Still say. Still never beat that game. They yeah. fixed it after they, after they there was a crashing part in which I was having an issue with, and they finally fixed it. I never went back, and I need to. Yeah, see, that's what I was going to say. The reason I want to throw White Rabbit in is because the game was amazing and I really enjoyed it. That experience is tainted by the fact that it just launched with so many. I don't want to say so many problems because when you put it against other games that have launched this year with big problems, their problems kind of seem not so a crazy. More minor, yeah. And I think it's also when you think about it, a new developer making a making their first game coming out uh, and, and and handling all this and trying to make a game for not only PC but PS4. Uh, it's. I, I, I understand to an extent, and I was trying to be lenient, but there was some frustration. I will say this. I did appreciate that every problem that I had when I tweeted about it, the developer was instant almost. I and mean, replying. On, and, and replying and offering not only just the fact that they were sorry that it was happening, but an actual fix. And I appreciated that more than anything. Yeah. So it showed me that they knew what the problems potentially were. But they were trying to work with a small team at getting them patched. And I, for those of you who don't necessarily know about patches on consoles, PC patches are very easily handled. You can just push them out. On console, they have to be approved, essentially. They have to go through a certification, and that costs money, and that takes time. So you want to make sure, A, that you get as many fixes as you actually know are wrong into a single update if possible, definitely when you're dealing with a small budget and you're having to pay for this. And you have to make sure that you're not literally pushing out one update just to have to do another one in two days because of something you didn't think to fix yeah so they were trying and i want to give them that and it, i mean it's unfortunate the game lost uh, the game launched with bugs but i was able to beat it at launch with the the one area i was having massive problems with they fixed yeah by telling me what to do and it was specifically related to my playstation pro yeah, i had a couple of playstation enhancement or yeah whatever. i had a couple of other just random crashes but not extremely severe uh the game exuded i mean just interesting ideas on top of an already established game formula. Uh, this was a good year in terms of different games taking that Dark Souls idea and trying to change them in fun ways. And that was one oh, yeah, of them. Yeah, I could agree. Uh, but since that was more of the runner-up, and I do think that they are it's commendable what they did and what they tried, I'm going to move into what I think is the answer. Because I didn't play Hollow Knight, I obviously can't do that. I'm going to say Twin Motion as well. One thing to clarify, Twin Motion, this is not their first game. This is their first game of notoriety, is what I should essentially say. Um, but, so, and I, and I mean, realistically, I think this was their first console game. So, when you're thinking about it in that sense, and you're moving along, it just—I'm going to consider this their uh, motion twin. Yeah, I said motion twin. No, we've been saying twin motion. Oh, okay, my bad. Yeah, we got it reverse, but yeah, motion twin. Yeah. Sorry, motion twin, if you're listening. Your game's good. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to this incredibly obscure podcast. Um, you know what? Hey, everybody tweeted them and tell them when we screwed up their name. I'm kidding. Don't do that. No, yeah, do yeah, that. Do it if you want we to. We love them. They did a good job. I want them yeah, to Yeah, anyway, that. Motion Twin. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
Dead Cells is easily one of my absolute favorite games of the year. Just hold on. The, the next topic. The next thingy. What? The next thing. What? I'm not moving into game of the year discussion. Dang, son. Oh, I thought you were literally going into the next uh, award. No. No, no, no. I was going to say, I will say that uh, Motion Twin got it. That's 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 it right there. Yeah, but I was just, I mean, you, you obviously mentioned on yours, but I think that the fact that not only Saul and I uh, both, but plenty of people I know, played that game only for like a month after its release. I, I played that game so much, and there's something that's fun about it. I got it. burnt out on it. it, it like I played it so much that I got burnt out on it. I didn't even get burnt out on it. I just beat it. I and never I, beat it. And I was like, I did it. I never, I've finally done it. I got to uh, the uh, the big old like, Grand Castle area. Yeah, I beat it, and then I went back and put the modifier on that they give you after you beat it that changes like different enemies that are yeah. normally harder in the game. Did you get the platinum? No, <laughs> not at all. As much as I love the game, I if I had more time, I would probably work toward the platinum. That uh, The modification system is not easy. And then it also introduces those doors that you see throughout the world that have these little circle things yeah, on them. Runes on so them. the more times that you roll through the game, if you beat the first modifier, you get a second modifier, and you keep rolling through that way. And depending on the number of modifiers you have, there are new there are doors that you can find and knock on in the normal playthrough that do nothing. But if you have one modifier on and you're at a door that's got one circle, you can knock at it, and it'll go through, and it's a shortcut or a hidden area, stuff like that. Uh, and I thought that that was a cool idea for replayability. And the other reason I want to give them some credit is that they have gone on and they are you bought the game this if you did buy the game you should uh they have added on stuff to the game so this is a game that is essentially a starting point for them and it had an ending that wasn't satisfying necessarily from a story standpoint which the story is very loose in that game but it is interesting and they are moving on from there and they're adding new bosses and new areas so if that sounds interesting to you go check it out yeah totally worth it all right Saul. you got the next category you want to go through Sure. So next category is best indie game. What did you guys like? Because the winner, what? No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say because the winner from our community is Celeste. So I know Corey <laughs> is incredibly happy right now. That's what I was going to say. I was like, Corey's over there just like, yeah. So Celeste is pretty good. I played like the first couple hours of it. Still haven't gotten back onto it. I know Blaze really likes it too. And Blaze... He's uh, he's a really big Mega Man, uh, Metroidvania style person, and that's a testament to how good this game is. If you like those, very challenging, very uh, very well, you're gonna die a lot. It's a precision flat platformer. It's a very too. retro precision precision platformer. You messed me up too. Uh, but for me, what's funny about Celeste, real quick? Oh, me and Blaze played that game in 2016 at PSX, right? I think, and 17. We played both uh, at PSX, and it was an entirely different game. Like, it was still it was still precision flat platforming, but the character was different. It had... A, was it a boy? It had a, no, it was still a girl, okay. but way different art style, way more chubby, uh, and, and the way that they See, went about reason, doing I things. Thought... And they, I mean, you know what I mean? It was a different, a slightly different art style, uh, and it definitely had a different tonal value to what it was trying to do across the levels. It had more of a cutesy design, but you could tell that they were still definitely in the early stages of, I thought that was going to be the game, and it was fun, but they went ahead and, and from, this is somebody who hasn't played the newest release. It's funny. I played it beforehand, but... Um, the, the actual release version of the game decided to tack on an actual story and try and attack things like that. So while I can't speak on those personally, I know that Corey and a couple of other people I've mentioned said that the game had a surprisingly good story, um, and that's that's interesting. So I think that across the board, I think good story and good gameplay definitely makes sense as to why that would be a community favorite. 
Yeah. Uh, but as a, a plot twist, Hollow Knight is mine. So to, to, <laughs> I know this is confusing to people, but out of Dead Cells and Hollow Knight, Hollow Knight was much more of an impactful experience. Okay. Instead of uh, just more of a um, more of a, a of a entertaining because Dead Cells is is super good, and it honestly if. If it depends on what I'm in the mood for to properly answer this question, because if I'm looking to sit down and play a really, really like impactful and deep game, then Hollow Knight is the go-to for indies for me. Uh, I could I could see that because yeah. I, I get I think I to an extent I get what you're saying is that while Motion Twin and uh, Dead Cells, it's like this. And don't get me wrong, we obviously didn't play it that way for some periods, but it is a game that's easy enough to just sit down. And bite size play. Yeah, like I would, uh, I would get home at, at work after ten. I would make me some dinner. Uh, I would throw laundry on, and then for like thirty minutes, twenty five minutes, I'd play Dead Cells, and then like I'd lay down. So, and part of that is mirrored in the way that the game is designed, from being able to literally just drop out from your run and go to the home screen just to come back. Uh, that encourages you to stop playing, even if you wanted to play something else, but come back and continue your run. So, death is what actually determines your uh, your end. Whereas I've seen some roguelikes. Uh, have it to where you keep your uh, you keep the things that you've unlocked, but every time you go and restart the game, you have to restart a run. Now you still have the ability to tap into the things you unlocked, um, but I think that that's a pretty interesting idea. Uh, so I mean, it was executed really well. Yeah, I, but I I get where you're going, and I think what you mean by that is that Hollow Knight feels more like a sit down and an experience game. Whereas, yeah, it feels more of an experience where uh, Dead Cells is way more entertaining. It's weird. It's it's like if I want to sit down and be immersed with the game, it's like it's kind of like describing Dark Souls to like The Witcher almost, like where you want to sit in and get like rich with lore and experience the soundtracks of everything. Which I'm not saying Dark Souls doesn't have none of this, but I'm just saying that typically when you sit down in Dark Souls, you're just playing Dark Souls to play Dark Souls, and you're working on getting better and you know getting throughout the game. It's two very different experiences, and I think that that's what lies in Hollow Knight for me. Because more overall, like I said, it's more impactful. I left playing Hollow Knight after I beat it with more of an oomph than I did when I was playing Dead Cells. Dead Cells did a good job of making me feel accomplished, like Dark Souls did. Or if I did yeah, something really well, absolutely. Or if I beat the boss I was finally stuck on, it did a really, really, really good job of that. But Hollow Knight, when I walked away from it, I was like, that was a really, really good game. I'm going to play it again soon. And I don't typically walk around away from a game like that and say that again. But Brett, what is yours? Since I didn't get to play Hollow Knight, again, I'm, I'm so bummed that I can't speak on Hollow Knight on it's this outside a, of what I saw. You're really going to like that game. I know I will, and it's probably the next thing I'm going to play. I just have to figure out how to work it in. Thankfully, I have so much more time now that this is done, for the most part. Um, but, yeah, I, I want to come back. I, it's very similar reasoning behind, but I'm torn between whether I want to give this to Death Gambit. And I've been thinking about this since this first came up and I was compiling all the answers together. I... I feel the same way about Death Gambit in relation to Dead Cells. Dead Cells was way more. I th I want to go. The reason I think that I want to give it to Dead Cells is because there is something to be said about pure gameplay feeling so good that literally all of your joy comes from just the way the game plays. I'm not gonna say all, but a lot of what makes that game feel instantly good to you. It's how tactile the controls were. It's easily the most fast-paced roguelike I've ever played. Uh, on top of that, yeah. it's, the fa it's the most fast-paced Metroidvania-style game I've ever played. Uh, and that's what's interesting about the game, is it's not quite 
only roguelike and it's not quite true metroidvania but it rests somewhere in between them and i think that they put it the best way when they called it a roguevania it's essentially a fusion of the two but it's not necessarily true to either yeah it's got some give and take that tries to make a somewhat refreshing and unique experience in that genre or in each respective genre. And I think that there's something about that. Like, you know, you hear people say all the time that gameplay trumps all. And that's honestly, when done right, that's true. Now, a game that has good gameplay, but goes on too long and has a story that doesn't pick up, good gameplay will eventually fail. But when you have gameplay that's so impeccably done, like Dead Cells did, you end up with a game that I, I know for a fact that I could go in there and just have fun with it right now. Yeah. And not just because I've taken time from it. If I would have had the time to do so, I am fairly positive in saying I could have been playing this game at least multiple times, like two, three times a week this entire year since its release and continued to have had fun. It's a game that when you pick up, or at least when we pick up, we enjoy it no matter what. And I... It's like I talk about with gameplay being so fun. It's odd to me that a game that is really not long and not intended to be long and not really even meant to be played in long sit downs is a game that I would sit there and play for about six hours. That sounds crazy. Yeah. But that's what I would do. And and it was so fun. And I liked trying out different weapons and different combos and the way that the game tries to reward you for what you do. And that was also one of the most fun streams we had. I just really enjoyed the idea of being able to just go through and like, hey, I'm going to run through this that I feel pretty confident in and, and do pretty good. Uh, and I love that about it. But and on the same token as you with Hollow Knight, there was a little bit more going on. Even though the story wasn't amazing, I think that there was a little bit more going on from a presentation side, from a gameplay side, from a lore side. Uh, Death's Gambit just has this idea behind it that I guess feels a bit more palpable on top of the fact that the gameplay in that game is still really fun. Oh yeah. So the it's gameplay like gameplay in that game is really, really, really ace. And I was really surprised to see the, cause I'm going to say what might be a little bit of blasphemy here. I think that salt and sanctuary is a really good game. Oh, I'm going to say Death Gambit is way better. But Death Gambit is a way, way better, better idea of taking the Dark Souls gameplay and transcribing it to a 2D uh, game style while also making enough changes that it feels a little more unique than Salt and Sanctuary did. Yeah. Salt and Sanctuary felt too similar. Salt and Sanctuary, I hated the art style in that game. Yeah, I Character wasn't a fan of the art style. It, it looked like a dumb. Flash game. Yeah, uh, And, you know, that's that's fine. I mean, I had fun with Salt and Sanctuary, but it didn't drive me to beat it like Death Stranding did. Uh, I think that that pixel art style that Death Stranding went... Uh, Death Stranding. beautiful. Death Gambit Death went Gambit. through. Uh, we haven't played Death, Ga or Death Stranding yet. Yeah, uh, but yet. anyway, I, it was very beautiful. Had It was... The game just had a lot of fun ideas behind it and depth to it that, again, like Hollow Knight, but a little lesser because Hollow Knight, like we say, is a very long game and it's a very involved game. And from you know the many conversations me and Saul had around it, as well as watching people play it, it's a game that demands a lot of focus and attention, but in an extremely different way than something like Death Gambit, where it's more about... Death Gambit's a little more true to the Dark Souls idea of pay attention to your enemies and pay attention to yourself and you should overcome... Whereas Hollow Knight's like, pay attention to the map, pay attention to what you've unlocked, pay attention to where you can go back. That exists to an extent in Death Gambit where you have to go back and get keys and go back through areas yeah. that are hidden bosses and stuff. But it's not as driven into the main gameplay as I think it was from what I've seen of Hollow Knight. Would you agree with that since you've actually played Yeah, both? Hollow Knight is a very true Metroidvania in which there are times you're going to come across doorways, you're going to come across enemies, you're going to come across areas that you cannot get to 
or you can't, or you get to and you're like, I don't understand how I'm supposed to get past this or what I'm supposed to do here until you go and you go find the item and then come back, which is very classic Metroid style game. And, and that's um, way different than just being like, oh, this is a locked door. I've just got to come back when I get a key. You know, somewhat, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's and the I know same that principle. It's just a different, just different mechanic in a way. Yeah, because uh, a lot of people compare or say Dark Souls is like a uh, 3D Metroid game, Metroidvania, which okay. is crazy because I can see that, but it's it doesn't have too many of the values for it. But I also hear it's a I, it's a 3D uh, the best 3D Castlevania series ever made. I agree with that. <laughs> Difficult, has sure. all that cool-looking gothic stuff. Sure. Yeah, I'll give you that. All right, I'm going to move into the next category, and that is best new character. Uh, and I'm not surprised to see that it is Arthur Morgan from Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, so, Blake, go and clap yourself on the back. Just, yeah, there you go. Uh, he obviously voted Red Dead for everything. Yeah. I'm not even surprised. Um, but this actually was a pretty resounding answer. I mean, this was the primary one. Uh the closest second we got to it uh, was actually Balder in God of War. That I, that honestly is like my second because Balder is such a cool bad guy. He is, and there's uh, oh man, yeah. Let's let's speak on Balder for a second. Balder, and I'm not going to spoil the game at all, but Balder has so much depth. He does. What makes him a great character is that he is one of those great villains where they took the time to make sure that with him being a bad guy. Throughout the course of the story, they want to make sure that you understand. Like, not only is he likable a little bit anyway, because he's smug in a weird way, but he's got like he exudes. He's very smug. He exudes he, personality. Like yeah. he's got a he's got this like within the first like hour of playing the game when you first meet him, it's one of the coolest, yeah. coolest openings to a game ever. But he's he's very personable. But he, you know, he couples that with the fact that he's antagonistic. Uh, but by the time you start to reach the end of the of the tale you have a much better understanding of what led him to be where he was. And I think that what the game does best is that it plays off of the Norse mythology in such a true way. And then not only that, it ha it's performed in such a way that it has so much more depth than you're used to seeing from a lot of video games, definitely from God of War. Yeah, uh, God of War is not necessarily known for having character depth in its I want to say in its bosses, but that's really true in its villains. Uh, there's very, very seldom the God of War series, as much as I loved it, had villains that you truly understood. And I think part of that was because Kratos himself in the other games was always meant to be the anti-hero. So he takes on a villainous role himself. Right. Uh, and I want to say happy. I want to say anti-hero because I mean, I, in a way, he's not even he's almost the bad guy fighting just other bad guys, you know. Uh, but I think when you look at that and what happened with God of War, this roll around, uh, and they were able to switch that where Kratos is taking on a less antagonistic role and trying to be more reserved and then coupling that with somebody who has a real reason that you can view and be relatable to as to why they are the way they are, you end up with a really great character with a lot of depth uh, in, a, in a time period where there are plenty of games that come out these days that have very shallow characters. And uh, I, like one of the main things that we constantly talk about, as much as I loved Horizon as a gameplay experience and even as a world experience, yeah. its number one fault was in very shallow characters. The deepest character connections in the entire game seem to be between Rost and Aloy, and then even those leave a lot to be desired for me. Um, so, I mean, it, that's... I would hope, if anything that with Sony uh, Santa Monica studios and the way that Sony handles things that gorilla work with Santa with uh, Santa Monica studios to try and figure out how to better incorporate their character play. Because one of the things that God of war did in general really well um, is 
made every and we talked about this last night actually every character mattered yeah there was not a character in the game that was, didn't have a specific purpose realistically especially well i know there's people that haven't played it yet i'll, I'll never mind i was going to speak early on when you meet a character and then you realize how impactful that character is once you meet another character yeah which yeah. is really really cool uh I'll, yeah i'll give you that we don't want to spoil anything but i think that it's safe to say that god of war utilizes its characters in such a way that the characters end up coming off far more genuine and far more in-depth because of the fact that they are given ample time to grow and develop, uh, but also ample importance in the story. Yeah. Where there are plenty of times where other games, Horizon specifically in my mind, uh, tries to give this faux importance, but it never feels earned, and it never feels really important. Like, it feels less weighty. So is, is Balder your answer? Um I just we've been talking about Balder for a yeah, while. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm going through it. I think I'm safe to say that Balder's my answer. See. Uh, but I will say that uh, Arthur Morgan is a very good answer. And it my, is. my quick synopsis of that, uh, and it's it, really Sean Sanderud, is the one, he, he summed it up perfectly. Arthur went from being somebody I didn't think I would like at all to being somebody that you by the end really, of it, yeah, you really, that I really, really was surprised at how much I felt attached to him. Now, that I, I still think that Balder... And they are actually similar stories in the sense of they are people that you don't like necessarily from the get go, but they exude personality in a way that it's hard to just hate them. Yeah, but then you work towards this thing where you they're relatable in every way, and and actually in some ways, Arthur's even more. relatable by in, in in terms of real human nature because the game's a little more grounded uh but i think balder's a really good one and i i think it's a maybe a slight bias by the fact that i like villains that are done well because villains oh, yeah. so often are done poorly if they're done well villains are oftentimes the best yeah. uh substance to the plot i just think there's something fun uh, and i mean and like i say this still happens in in red dead but i think that there's a fun challenge to making somebody that you're supposed to dislike also be likable. And when you can pull that off, and definitely when they're bad guys, because you know the thing about bad guys, the archetypal story you tend to get from video games of bad guys is, well, he's just pure evil. And they, and you're just trying to stop him because if you don't, he's pure evil and he'll destroy everything. Yeah, or very, some, very lazy. Some writing. mutation of that. Yeah. But it doesn't give you the satisfaction when you kill him because it's like, well, I, all I did was stop somebody who's evil. I did my job, yeah. Yeah, so this just, isn't... it wasn't that, like, you know... By the time that you reach the end of God of War, there's an entirely different take on the on what went down between Balder, and it's one of those things where you're like, and, and the same of Red Dead. I mean, it's I, very, I want to be true of that. It's a very understanding story. I think if I had to give a close second, uh, as much as I actually again liked Atreus uh, in God of War uh, as a as a secondary, I do think Arthur Morgan deserves my secondary spot, and I would even say it's pretty close. I just think that I do have a proclivity to lean towards really well done villains. Yeah, and mine is Atreus. Which he can be often annoying at times, but perfectly uh, so. But perfectly so. And then I think that everything they did with Atreus worked out really well. The mocap actor slash voice actor uh, did a really really good job. And by the end of the story, especially like the last like five minutes of the story of that game, leaves you wanting more knowledge on what, how, and why. And I, it made me excited to play the sequel. And I think that they they used Atreus in a very clever way there. And I'm not going to say anything, obviously, because if you haven't... You mean the end? Yes, the very end. Like um, the credit roll scenes? Uh, like, well, well, not necessarily the credit roll scenes. I'm talking about before the credit rolls. Okay. Like the I'm last not, five minutes. Sure, uh, sure. When something is, is done. But 
I think that uh, he, he did come off as annoying, which I think that was is very similar parallels to Balder and Arthur. You don't really like him at first because they're just like, why is this kid whiny? But then you realize like the whole intro of him like with the bow. I don't think that's too much of a spoiler, but the bow and the deer yeah, is uh, something that's very impactful in a yeah, way. Yeah, and I don't think – I'm not going to consider that a spoiler because that was essentially the E3 thing. Now, I know some people avoided that's, the game yeah, that much. It's but... also been out since, uh, <clears throat> since March, and this is like the first 10 minutes of the game. So this is not like any kind of spo- massive spoiler or anything. Yeah. Uh, just in case you're wondering if I just said something massive about a deer. No, no, no. It's this very, very non-spoilery in a way. It's not yeah. really. It's just content. Uh, so no, what, no significance. That, where were you finishing off with that? Uh, you, you yeah, I was pretty from... much finishing off with that. Uh, that throughout the end of the journey, you often were annoyed by him, but then you realize kind of why he's this way because he's just a child going through the things he was going through that happened in the beginning of the game. So. Uh, well, look, there's a, there's a lot of things that I know we're trying to play this weird spoiler territory. Uh, but like I, uh, one thing that Blake mentioned is that sometimes to accurately talk about a game, you have to spoil a little bit. I don't, I think what you were trying to avoid from was saying is the death of the mother. Yes. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and say that was in marketing material to me. That's not quite. Just, spoiler. Yeah. I, I, uh, so I'm, I'm I want to leave it to that, that because I think to, to speak about why Atreus is actually a good character and why you start to really feel for him ties into the a little bit of the subject matter. We won't go into too much more. Yeah, I was going to say, technically, it's within the first five minutes of the title screen. So, yeah. like, once again, these aren't huge, impactful things to the story that that you already... That, that's not going to be revealed in midway through. Like, yeah. this is not anything like that. But, yeah, Atreus, for certain... Yeah, and uh, I think the thing about Atreus... Uh, and I, I'm curious, because you don't have a kid. So this is more my own curiosity. Uh, me personally, and I think that a lot of humans in general have this because we all have a tendency to be a little more forgiving with children. Uh, but I know that even at the beginning, obviously it's a sad time he's lost his mother and he's trying to deal with that with a father who's refusing to deal with it or he's or at least dealing with it in his own way, which is a very quiet. Visually, yeah. And, you know, he doesn't go through it in the same way. Uh, there is something about that opening scene where he has his hand on the tree uh, yeah. that is very interesting and, and kind of it almost chilling to an extent. Yeah. You're like, oh, wow. This, you Especially know, when, you well, know whose hand it is, you yeah. know what's going on, and you understand. I think that that added weight to me anyway, being a longtime God of War fan and seeing what I think is so interesting about that game doing is that, it starts the game off where you don't even ever get to actually see Kratos being happy with his wife. All no, yeah, you get to yeah. see, you Sadness. go from you give you go from three's ending where he's just a or you know three where he's a a beast the whole way through until and the then, end, and then, and then you go to on this one. Run. We never get to see him be happy, but we're already starting in this thing where he the, all this trauma is going on. He's doing his thing, but when you couple that. And I think you have to talk about Kratos a little bit when you talk about Atreus because part of what makes Atreus grow so great is that you are constantly seeing Atreus have to do this through Kratos' very heavy hand. Right. So Kratos is being very stern and, and not really letting him work through things the way, in, in a way that a typical father role would be, at least by our standards of time. He's doing it in a very off-putting – he's – He's almost trying Stern. to, like I say, in his refusal to deal with it physically himself and just keeping it all inside, he's not wanting to project that out and make sure that Atreus is okay. He's more quiet. You know, it happened. We have a mission. Stick with it. And you see Atreus having to try and deal with this trauma while also following along with his father who's trying to learn how to be a father. And that interplay is so good. And, you know, we're talking about new characters. I would say, if anything, 
Kratos almost fits the bill, but he is an existing character. But he's so changed in this game that it's amazing. Uh, and, and not change in a way that doesn't feel true to him. But that change is really important because the change is what drives Atreus to become the character by the end of the game that you, again... You see him go through what you expect from kids to an extent, yeah. but then you also see him come to grips with some things that are really interesting, and I think that they play it off incredibly well. And yeah. I, like you say, I'm so stoked to the see sequel. where they lead yeah. him into the sequel. Especially with the after credit scene uh, involved. This next one, we have Best Exclusive. I think, judging by this, it's a, it's a, it's a complete three one. So we got God of War was the community answer. I think we can go ahead and say that's ours too. Yeah, God of War is definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, we we just spoke a lot about it. So if you guys can't tell, God of War is a it's a it's a it's an okay game, <laughs> just okay. Corey Barog, you made a masterpiece. Congratulations to you. For those guys. of you who wanted it to be Spider Man, I have to throw this out there real quick. I'm sorry. Yeah, Spider Man. I'm not sorry because I think that it deserved it. I'm sorry because Spider Man's a great game. Spider Man yeah. is not Sp- Spider Man's not the best like, exclusive. It, I'm I mean, not gonna say great game even. I'm gonna say Spider Man was a good time. <laughs> I would honestly say, did what would you enjoy bet more? Dead Cells or Spider Man? Dead Cells. Dead Cells. Exactly. <laughs> now that's really but for different reasons. So I mean, no, but, I know, you're but right. Still, you're right. Spider Man, you know what we, we talked about a point before. Spider Man was a big letdown this year for us. Uh it was still a good game, still worth the sixty dollars we pay for it. Still worth the experience to play through it. Still worth the. I would even say to an extent, if you wanted to just really say, was the game worth the hype? No, the game is worth the hype in a sense of if your hype was only built on your your own expectation, which is objective per person. Yeah, sure. If if you played it like that, I think that there's an easy way to say that it was worth the hype. But I think that the marketing machine that was obviously going to come from this game really messed it up. Obviously had some effects on the hype. Now, I will say this. Go watch our impressions episode because we talked about it pretty in-depthly there. I will, and we should have went into more spoiler. The more I've sat on Spider-Man, I love Spider-Man. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I mean, really, I love the game. Yeah, it's, it's a good game. We should, like, I'm, I'm not going to clarify, like, it's not something that's even in any part of a contender for game of the year for me. Just yeah, spoil, same. I don't, spoil all I don't even consider it a contender either. It's a good game. It's worth this pickup, no matter what the price. It's sixty dollars or on sale. It's worth the price, but it's just not something that I was expecting more out of Sucker Punch. A lot. I mean, Insomniac. Insom- I do that a lot. I don't know why I mix those up. Well, because originally Sucker Punch was rumored to be making the game, right? Yeah. But uh, anyways, uh, I-, I expected a lot of of Insomniac. Uh, I expected um, probably more than what we got, and I was just generally let down by. Mainly the story. There was times in that game that just felt like it went from 60 miles per hour to zero. And it was very, very frequent. And I'm not going to say not even the story. It was the pacing of the story. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, each part of the story was fine. It's the way that they went about trying to stitch it together. And I know some of that, like we talked about, was in this attempt to make... To make you play as Peter Parker and understand, because I will, I will say the best way to describe this is that the reason that I think other Spider-Mans failed in the story department so badly, because this game ultimately did have a good story. Yeah, I think well, that the reason the other games in the series have traditionally failed in really the story department, they're just fun games that have uh, you know, a, a romping story where it's like, well, there's something to it, but it's really just fighting enemies that are cool. Uh, but, you know... I think one of the things that this game did to make sure that it actually had a compelling story is it made you play as Peter so that you actually went through some of Peter's grief, where they always try and play this. The video games always try and play off of Spider-Man's grief, but the movies always try and play through the dichotomy of having to be Peter and Spider-Man at the same time, and they finally handled that now uh, in a video game in a way that I thought was really well done. Uh, But pacing was the biggest issue. And again, I think that's another thing. 
one of the, and I will say like, completely odd sounding maybe to some, but you, do you remember one of your very, very small complaints of God of War was not necessarily pacing, but that the game kept doing this like kind of drawn out thing almost to an extent. Like it was artificial. And I, I, I enjoyed the it. Game. I enjoyed it. I don't really think it was artificially lengthening the game. It felt artificial, but, but they could have they could have maybe whittled it down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they could have. But they the payoff, off the, edges. the payoff made the, the payoff was way worth it. Yeah, the, the payoff, the payoff made the Spider Man was not. And yeah, by the end of Spider Man, I was like, well, we saw that coming. The ending is not a surprise. There's Whereas no- that, that's that's exactly the idea. God of War's ending was not easily predictable. Yeah. Spider-Man's was. God of War. I expected God of War. I mean, I expected Spider-Man's ending from the first 20 minutes of gameplay. Yeah. And it, it sets you up for a sequel in God of War and Spider-Man. It, I mean, the after credit scene, I mean, as Marvel normally does set you up for a cool sequel, but it's kind of like at the same time, it's like, is it going to be like this game? Because I'm not really looking forward to it if it is, which is sad. Well, I mean, I'm looking forward to it and I'll play it, but I'm not going to be the same amount of hype. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and for those that are... I do think that they have the ability, real quick, to uh, to do... And I've said this from the get-go. I do think they have the ability to grow... I would argue that in a lot of ways, Spider-Man's probably the best first entry of a superhero game ever. But the thing about Spider-Man is that uh, Arkham Knight is still... And I went back and replayed it to make sure that I wasn't just you know looking too nostalgically at Arkham, uh, Arkham City. I'm sorry. Uh, Arkham City. Arkham City, to me, is a better game. And it's funny. I think that if you took the Spider-Man that we got this year and you put it in the the same idea that it took, which was big AAA values and stuff, and you put that on PS3 uh, in that generation, I think where gaming was at that point, that game would have been amazing. But because of the year that we've been in and the, and the way that games have come out that have had great pacing, great stories, great acting, great gameplay, you get in this landscape where it shines less because yeah. of that. And I think that... But it has the ability I, I to do Arkham the, City. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head pretty well there. Um, where, anyways, where the next game is better. Yeah, for, uh, for those, like, <laughs> if you haven't watched our Spider-Man impressions, go watch it there. We go way more in-depth than that, and I think it's more of an understanding thing once you hear us uh, actually talk about that as the main topic. <laughs> uh, Brett, next one. I actually love the answer for this one because I agree with it entirely wholeheartedly, and it's my answer as well, so I'll go ahead and get that out of the way. The community answer for best ongoing game. Now, we'll, we'll be clear as to what that is real quick. Ongoing game is specifically a game that did maybe even release very early this year, but released most likely last year or the years before and has continued to be supported uh, throughout this thing. So you have games like Fortnite, of course. You have games like Rainbow Six Siege. And I think that there's a lot to be said about Rainbow Six Siege and even realistically Grand Theft Auto V. I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that yeah. that game is so old and they continue to update it because it's cash cow, they, You know fair. they just launched a new multiplayer thing for it. I know. It's like I, Red Dead's out, guys. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, there's money to be made. Oh, there's, there's a lot of money to be made. And there's people that are happy that they're still supporting it. So in that sense, I understand it. Uh, but as for best ongoing game, the community answer was No Man's Sky. And I think that there is undoubtedly no better answer because it is the exact turnaround. And the game is essentially what everybody wanted from the get-go now. Now, whether or not you still enjoy that type of game is up to what, what games you, you enjoy. But... Hello Games have finally reached the point where the game is exactly at and even actually a little bit more than what they originally intended. Would you agree with that, Saul? Oh, yeah, I, I, play, I completely agree. And I always, I've said it before, I commend Hello Games and Sean Murray for sticking on it. You could have just did nothing about it. You could have just accepted the failure of the game and then you probably wouldn't put out a new game anytime soon. But look at you, you are. 
is the Game Awards. You have a new trailer. And now that trailer, if that came out without this kind of reception, would have been terrible. And they're like, oh, so you just completely stopped on No Man's Sky. Now you have this new game. We're all screwed. That Why would we support fail. your game? Yeah. yeah but now that game's going to receive a lot of warm reception because the general reception and thought process around No Man's Sky now is generally positive. It's not negative like it was, you know, five, six, seven, eight months after launch. Um, yeah, I would my, agree. I, <coughs> I think it's me. safe to say that the best way to word that is that I, I think it's you're right. They could have, could have dropped No Man's Sky completely and left. But I think that Sean Murray and team were smart enough to know that they screwed up, and that's just a that. You, you, I don't think anybody really argues that No Man's Sky was, even though I enjoyed it at launch. I know some people didn't. It was still a screw up, and it was a lot of uh, false marketing and stuff like that. But I think when you look at it in this sense, I don't think No Man. I don't think that Hello Games would be around anymore if they did that. I don't think they would have ever made another game. I don't no. think that they, and I think even if they did, like you say, uh, even if they decided that, okay, it's time to make a game, it wouldn't have lasted. It Absolutely wouldn't have been this not. thing. It would have been a terrible setup of, oh, unfortunately, nobody's going to have trust in them again as a developer because they sold us a broken game and then ditched it. Uh, I think that they had to do exactly what they did. And in case you just, for some reason, don't know, they released a game that, yes, did not have any of the stuff that they hyped up into it. And it no, just, I think everybody knows about that. Everybody probably knows about that. Just like everybody knows about the up, something coming on the list here soon. They have updated that game for free in massive ways that have got it not only to where it was originally supposed to be at launch, but even more included. And I commend them for that. I think that that's, I think they deserve to be commended. I obviously think that they deserved to be uh pointed the finger at when they relaunched the game in the state that they did. I don't think that's unfair at all. I think some people took it a little too far, uh, but I think that we as a market and we as a group of hobbyists and whatever you want to call us, you know, gamers as, as a general, I think we do have a responsibility to do something in between where when people mess up, I think it is fair that we all point the finger and go, look, you messed up. That's just a fact. Now, I would like it to not get just dirty like it sometimes does, but I think that there's fair enough to go, you screwed up, what are you going to do to fix it? And I think that the correct response from a developer in that situation is to do exactly what they did, which is go, we're going to commit to the game, and we're going to own up to our mistake, and we're going to fix it entirely free. We're not going to expect you to spend any more money to play this game in, That's the, in the state that you wanted it. big factor, the fact that it was all free. Yeah, and I think that they probably would have been okay even if they charged for it at least after the first year or two. Like, you know, do one big update that it fixes it for everybody and then do more add-ons yeah kind of like a almost like a, a a dlc content release schedule in a way but it's no schedule it's just like here's exactly. new content here's new content here's new content exactly so um, i think that they deserve it and you know what shout out to sean murray and no man's guy i hope you're in a better place now and things aren't so bad as they were and uh use that a as a lesson man don't ever try and uh let your hype and i assume a fear was somewhat involved in the fact that he kept saying these things despite the fact and, that I know he knew at that point that they weren't going to be in the game. And potentially Sony's dollars. <laughs> don't let big, I, don't let yeah. the big publishers and, and companies like possibly bully you. That goes for any game developer. Now, we, all, we all know that answer to mine, though. Go for it. Destiny 2. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's very, very uh, unsurprising. Basically, Forsaken has completely revitalized the game. It's what Taken King was to Destiny 1. And it has brought back people. Uh, and even like last night, uh, we played the year one raid, the Leviathan, and we had six people. We played until 2 a.m., even though I had to wake up at 8 a.m. to come over here and start recording. Um, it's something that is magical with friends and family to play with, uh, even though I don't have any family plays with it, but <laughs> you do. Shout out to you. Um, 
I do think though, it's technically technically counts, but not really. Sea of Thieves deserves a little head nod, even though we're a PlayStation podcast. No, I I want to I actually Sea of Thieves is going to come up with something else for me. Really? Um, yeah. Um, okay. Cool. But I do think that they do deserve a little bit too. They have. They are essentially the Microsoft analog, and I know we're PlayStation, but I'm just going to throw it out there. They are the, essentially the Microsoft uh, closest. It's not exactly as bad. They are the closest thing that Microsoft themselves has had to a No Man's Sky style launch. It was a game that launched at a high price, which was full price, same as No Man's Sky. Didn't quite feel like it should have been full price and had a gross lack of content. Now, that doesn't mean that it wasn't fun just like No Man's Sky was, but they very quickly were able to try and, and pull that together and make a game that is at least worth, in my opinion... Worth a Games Pass The Games Pass subscription. Yeah. And that's all that really it's, truly matters because I don't think most people spent full price on that game. No. And I know I we think, didn't. I know, I know. We talked about that. I think most of that game was Games Pass subscription. Pretty much, yeah. And I will say this as a quick addendum is that if you uh, if you want to play the game with us and you got Games Pass, you got an Xbox, hit us up. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next one on the list... We have best shooter. I had to look at my trophies to remember what shooter games I played this year. That's crazy, right? Other yeah. than Destiny, like Destiny and like Rainbow Six, like I don't really play shooters anymore. It's like go-to things. Which um, is, I want y'all to know how wild that actually truly that's is. That's very wild. The fact that I had to obviously, like, go back and look at trophies because I couldn't remember what it was. And the sad thing is I looked at trophies and I've already forgotten. Well... I, first thing I want to say is that this was not a huge year for shooters. Uh, one of the first notable ones that came, and it, even if you want to consider it shooters, which it, in a lot of ways it really is. It's a first-person shooter that's open world as well. Uh, Far Cry 5 is one. That's, that's what it was. That's the only real shooter game that came out this year that I played. Yeah. Uh, now, that's going to be one of those interesting things. Because I agree that best shooter. I, some people were saying Destiny 2, and I think that I understand the I idea. It but doesn't count. It that's why we have the ongoing yeah. game thing. You can, uh, you can brag about the game that you think is still really good. but The community's answer was Black Ops 4, which if I played that, that would probably be right. I played the beta, so I'm not going to count that. Yeah, it was too. fun for the beta. The, game, the gunplay was fun, uh, and it was, it was fun. Uh, this is the first yearly Call of Duty I've not been, uh, or technically, oh, did that game come out last year, didn't it? What? No, it didn't. It came out in October. What am I thinking? What, Black Ops 4? Yeah, it's a very long year. Um, <laughs> it's been a long two months since th October. This is the first time um, in probably six years that I've not bought a Call of Duty game at launch or yeah. at launch window. So didn't play that. So I'm glad you guys are enjoying it uh, because the next one, we'll go ahead with yours. Cause, oh, Best Shooter? Yeah, Far Cry 5. That's pretty much, it has to be my answer because that's the really only, like <sighs> it's not a yearly, or not a yearly, but a, uh, um, what is it called when they release content for it constantly and it's a uh, 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 games as a service games as a service. It's, it's, it's the only not games as a service uh, shooter game I played. Yeah. Cause I mean, obviously I think the, the shooter I've had most fun with this year and it's, I honestly want y'all to understand how crazy it is that it in my mind is destiny two now, because I was really just done with destiny two. Uh, I think we all were. And yeah, that was one I of mean, the destiny two is obviously my, but that's, that's why I think that it, that's why I do think that it, it deserves a very close second in my mind. And of course your first as uh, best ongoing game. Um, so I think that's, so it says a lot. It says tons about the game and the current game state it's in yeah um uh, but as far as uh best shooter i'm gonna have to say it's probably far cry 5 as well and you know which what? is it, not, honestly solid game i'm yeah. i'm excited for uh new dawn i'm not necessarily excited for some of the changes they made to come back and i hope that they make more changes did you play the moon dlc uh, no okay i mean i mean neither 
I, I did not know. I forgot that there was Moon DLC. Yeah, it looks interesting. I didn't play any of the DLC. See, Far Cry is always hit or miss with me. Far Cry Two was the last, my last like like masterpiece. Far Cry Five, in my opinion. I mean, Far Cry game. Um, I think three fits that bill. Uh, I love two but, so much. No, I mean, don't wrong. I love two. I'm just saying, I think three was the last one for me that was like, the whole time I was playing it, I was like, holy crap. Did three have a malaria mechanic? Nope. So it didn't have anything like that? Nope. See, that was the one thing about two that I was like, tedious. It almost. was tedious, but it also felt very... There was a lot of flaws of Far Cry 5, though. Like, I will there say was... that this this game is truly uh, on this list for me because it's the only one I really played that would uh, that would classify as this. And constituted, if, if, yeah. I, if I could honestly say no answer, then I'll probably have to just say no answer instead of including that. But I will say Far Cry 5, like, I bought it for 60 bucks, Worth the $60 for the first playthrough. There's a lot of annoying stuff in there that happens, but I do think that... Uh, it's worth it if it's on sale. Uh, it's fun. Story's not half bad. Story. I know a lot of people were disappointed by that. Not me, really. I thought the story was fine, except the end. Uh, speaking of which, is why another game that's on this list is not going to make it on this list for me. Um, but anything else you want to say? No, I was looking at the list. I got thrown off by how the list is made. Um, You're fine. I, I'm going to move into the next one. Then, yeah, best uh, multiplayer. Th- so this one's so hard. Because like, the reason it's so hard is because... All of them are games as a service. Well, yeah, but even then, what I really mean is that for this year, there's not been a lot of notable new multiplayer games. Uh, this has been a very, very heavy story-driven year. I mean, you know, when you look at the PlayStation side, you had God of War, which PlayStation hardly ever puts multiplayer out uh, anyway. But you ha- you obviously have God of War, you have Detroit, you have Spider-Man, you have things like Red Dead. Uh, and I don't, I, I didn't play Red Dead online, and I still haven't, so I'm not going to even talk about it. And I don't think that it's really fair to put a game that's in beta here. Black uh, Ops 4 also won this by community. Black answer. Ops 4 is our community answer. Yeah, is our community For answer. me personally, it's really hard to say because one of the only games I played that released this year multiplayer, I did not enjoy the multiplayer because it was tedious and it was only you for are the... forgetting one major game, Monster no. Hunter World. Oh my lord, that's mine. You are how. Yeah, I totally for. I don't know why I forgot <laughs> it for this category. Yeah, that is by far the best multiplayer game they released this year. Okay, but I want to say one thing about that. That actually was a conversation I had this morning. And it's funny, being a longtime fan of Monster Hunter didn't blind me to this entirely, but it didn't really just, it didn't make me any form of upset about it. But as soon as somebody else mentioned it, I was like, yeah, that really is a, I mean, like, I knew it to be true anyway, but it just never really, I never let it set with me that it's really a terrible part of the game. As fun of multiplayer as it is, it is one of the most frustrating experiences to actually get into multiplayer. There's no reason yeah, it that it has... Very th- archaic. Yeah, it's like you have to have this password, you have to log into my... And what's funny is that it's archaic in some areas and it's really cool in other ones. Yeah, one it's area ahead that of it's, its time in some areas. One area that it does really well with in the multiplayer aspect is the idea that you can have a server. And now the server stays in its entirety as this little thing that you can roll into. And so we have a triangle squared server. Yeah. When, when everybody plays, uh, like when Ryan gets on and Which plays... Frostborn, I think is what it's called, comes out, we'll probably be back on it. Cause we, oh, yeah. we were back on it a little bit ago. And I'm still uh, okay it's, to it's, go on it right now. I mean, dude, the game's yeah, that game's amazing. But uh, one of the things it does is that server is amazing because everybody can just hop in, and as once they've joined the server, uh, they can log into that server anytime and play, and then when you log in, they're already there, and they can join into they're you. like in your world. Without you having to send a certain password or thing like that. But then the other area where it faults in so badly is that you can't uh, unlike and the, the best way to word it, and it was Mr. Hayden, a uh, New Zealand listener, if I recall correctly, on Facebook, he mentioned it, and he said that his, his buddy summed it up best. 
Why couldn't it have just been like Destiny 2? And now, regardless of what you think about Destiny 2, Destiny does have a very good and quick and easy way about, about going about co-op. You join together in a fire team, then you launch into an adventure. If you know for bigger. a fact that you're starting. So what's going on in Monster Hunter that makes it so frustrating is that uh, you both have to go into the... Like, if you want to play together, we both have to go in individually, uh, play see a cutscene, and then Saul, if he, if Saul wants to stay on his, I have to leave out of mine and then join his. And I can only play with him after he's watched his cutscene. It's, it's a, it's a big flaw of the game, but I think that once you get past that, since you only have to really get past it the first time, every time you play in a way, like every time you hop on and well, you're playing with friends, you got to worry about it. You have to get used to it, but every yeah. time you join, you still have to go through it. That's what I'm saying. But then you're done for the rest of the session. Like as long as you're playing with friends and you don't drop out of that server session, then you're fine. Well, no, no. Like when I'm talking about the mission structure, because you don't remember. I, I guess you're not. No, no, no. About the it. mission structure. All you, all you had to do was go to the board and just sign on to the board. Yeah, but what I mean by that is certain missions give you block out because of cutscenes and things like that. You oh, don't okay. recall that? Well, I, I, I do. I thought you were talking about the way you start missions by joining somebody. I was yeah, like, that's that's not that big of a deal on me for that. But yeah, the the way the 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 mission rolls out. Well, essentially, is, the game. Creates a bunch of faux barriers that are in very way, odd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that that's to its detriment. My hope is that w- since we live in this age of games that can be easily patched, I would hope that maybe before even, or if nothing else, with Iceborne because that is late. Actually, I don't Iceborne. remember. Iceborne yeah, is like uh, January, isn't it? No, it's it's fall of next year. Oh my gosh! Yeah, this. but it's supposed to be huge. Yeah, it is. So like, when you think about it in that setup, uh, I think that the thing that the game would do to service it best would be to update that and make it to where it is a more streamlined co-op experience. I think that they would stand to gain a lot by doing so. I know some people are generally unaffected by it. So Yeah. So next up on the list, biggest disappointment. I think there's another three-way across the board. Yeah. Uh, well, hold on there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Fallout 76. Don't worry, Saul. The golden rule keeps it safe. <laughs> I guess so. But uh, Fallout 76. I think everybody uh, was pretty let down by this game in some capacity. I know we have people who are friends on Discord that have enjoyed it. Good good for you guys. I will not buy this game. I've said it before. Vote in my wallet here. Will not buy this game until it's 100% fixed, and I will not pay $60 for it, no matter what. Mm-hmm. I will not support Bethesda at a $60 price point for this game, launching in the state that it did. Now, I will say that, like I said, if it goes on sale and they fix the game, similar to Elder Scrolls Online, there you go. However... It's not only a disappointment because of the game. It's a disappointment because of Bethesda. I'm glad you Everything said that. that surrounds Bethesda in this game, whether it's the new lunchboxes they're putting into the game, which is like the, uh, the microtransactions from Shelter, um, Fallout Shelter. Then there is the, uh, the canvas bag, which was the big thing there. The canvas bag popped up lawsuits. But then there was another lawsuit about, like, you cannot, like, you cannot release a product that's supposed to function in this, kind of, in this form. But Bethesda really dropped the ball. And I do mean massively. So much that it has me scared for Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six, uh, in a very, very real way. And I am really not looking forward to those games. I'm like and especially since they said they're using the same engine, the engine's clunky. Everything about it is just not good. I really, really hope that they take feedback from people and they're like, Listen, we took your feedback, we built a brand new engine. Hopefully it's better than this one. My worry. <laughs> Bethesda engines are terrible half the time, 99% of the time. I, there's not a good Bethesda engine except the one that runs Oblivion. And I can't think of what that engine's called. Oblivion then, was still messy. I was going to say, even then, Oblivion was still like pretty bad. Because the same engine that ran Oblivion is the same engine that ran Fallout 3, which Fallout 3 was a buggy mess you know, Skyrim well. too, right? Uh, Skyrim was technically the one that we're on now. 
but they, it has foundations that are very similar to the Oblivion one. Yeah. Um, it's I, I can't remember what it's called. The Creations. I can't remember what it's called right Decimate now. Decimate Engine. Uh, anyway, uh, is, is that all you wanted to say about it? Yeah, that's because it. Because you hit on exactly what I wanted to hit on. I actually think if you want to look at the game itself, if we wanted to say the biggest disappointment, I think the game still fits the bill. But I think that more than anything, Bethesda fits the bill. Uh, and it's because of exactly what you said. I think the game has redeeming factors. And I think that, like Blake mentioned, and we, he agreed with me entirely. Even he gave this answer of Fallout 76. But he said that it's this weird thing where Fallout 76 itself is fun. And he, he said he put about 85 hours into it. That's pretty impressive considering the, the state impressive. of the game but i think what that does is it all it does is reinforce that the game itself has moments of fun to be had and if i think if the game would have only just come out in the state that it had and then bethesda wouldn't have just screwed the pooch on everything else so much more i think that it got into this vicious cycle where you attach the fallout 76 name to bethesda rightfully so then bethesda does something stupid in relation to fallout 6 and then you get Fallout 6 again starts looking bad to you, which makes Bethesda look bad, which then Bethesda does something bad, which makes Fallout 6. It just becomes this vicious cycle of poorly, poorly handled game release and general community outreach and fixing things. The way that Bethesda handled all of this is just awful, and I would hope that if anything else they learn this, and even if they make a new engine, I really my, my worry about the engine itself is that, of course, I'm not happy to hear that after all this, they're saying that these games are going to use this engine, but more so, those games are already to some extent in development. How could they even make Starfield work on a new engine this potentially late into development? Now, the yeah, Elder Scrolls, just, the Elder Scrolls Six has the ability, maybe since it's not even really being developed yet, um, it has the ability to maybe get a team working on a better engine and a newer engine, or at least a real team that's dedicated to making sure the engine they have works. Because we've seen time and again that the, the engine they have just does not work. It doesn't, and there's just there's so much wrong with it that causes. I'm sure that causes almost all the complications in the game. Yeah, I'd be really surprised to find out that it didn't. And that's one of those things that we're left just to see what Bethesda gives us. And it looks, I mean, definitely when you look at performance and stuff like that, it's either down to lazy development or poor optimization for a bad engine. Uh, and, and those are what you're kind of, that's where you're at. I mean, now you do have the added in uh, idea of multiplayer being tied into this because now the game's always online and that has an impact of some sort. Uh, but ultimately, I think that Fallout 76 is the the great answer for this because it's i mean it's literally it's the perfect, perfect answer like it's it, it fits every single bill i don't think any it. other game came out it's such a disappointment i will say the most uh the most controversial answer that i that i saw was spider-man uh, and it was uh sean uh, neo you know you know i we talked about spider-man enough i'm not I know. gonna, I'm not gonna, gonna say anything else but i even said to him i was like you know i know that this is a controversial answer but i agree to some extent to, yeah to an extent uh, um, so I guess our next one up. Did you do? Did you say the last one or did I? I don't. It doesn't matter. Go okay. ahead. Uh, I think this is another three way. <laughs> the best art announcement. I mean, art announcement. Best art direction. I we, actually am going to be the uh, out leader. Really? On this. So yeah. the community and I are saying God of War. So I do think that God of War is a very beautiful game. That does art design in it is absolutely phenomenal. It is just so. It's so pretty. There's things in that game that go that have drastic changes, such as the very beginning snowy area, then to the later areas that I'm not going to say out loud just in case. But there's dark caves, and then there's... look, this is what I'm going to say, but and then you can finish up, okay? Because it's it, it's going to let you finish off, and then I'll just say quickly why I'm torn, and I'm going to give the other one the credit just because of one particular 
aspect of it. Though I will say that I'm I'm so fine with the answer of God of War to where if we just wanted to say that was the collective answer between us, I'm absolutely fine with that because, like you said, there's something about the way God of War handled it to where God of War has not only just an art direction, it has this visual direction that pulls so tightly in to where the as the mood changes, the lighting changes, the the outside color palettes change. And these are all things that go into art style in the direction behind those. So I think it's fair enough to say that a game like God of War not only uses its art to portray the world around it, but the way that you're perceiving the world uh, tonally. And yeah. it, it does that to Char- such great character effects. Character designs in that game, which technically is a component of art design. Yeah, I mean, art design fantastic. is... To, to the visuals extent, of the game. Yeah. I, no, I've heard people say that, that character design is not part of art design. And I'm just like, you're wrong. I think that character design has to be part of art design because no, it it, does. It it does. character design determines how the characters fit in the I'm world. I'm just telling you the it. arguments I've seen. And I'm yeah. just like, y'all, you're, you're, you're just, nah, disagreement. But what's yours then? If it's not, if it's not God of War. Okay. Well, it's, we, we've already talked about it a little bit. It's oh. Monster Hunter World. Um, that, that's actually, Monster Hunter World is tied with number two for Dead Cells with me. Because Dead Cells is very, very visually pleasing of a game. It is a, it's a stunning uh, game. And yeah. so is Hollow Knight. But, yeah, Monster Hunter World is really good. Yeah. Go, my, my, go on? I, I was about to see you weren't say anything else. Um, Monster Hunter, and the reason that I think that it deserves at least a very, 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 very close second to God of War is that where I think the only arguments you can really make for it against God of War is that God of War, and some of this is tied into decisions that aren't art I mean, okay, God of War's reasoning, one of the things that helps it is the way the art flows because of a single, because of a no-cut camera. Right. I think it's really interesting seeing the way that the art transitions as you move through with no cuts. There's nothing that acts as a solid cut of like, well, it's sunny now, and then bam, cut, the sky's red. Instead, you know, when things get moody and the sky's red and then the thunder's bellowing in God of War, you see this general fade to it slowly happening over you because there's no camera cut. That is something that the art is benefited by, but it's not an art direction decision from the get-go. Right. So that's that's one thing I will say. The, the downside that I think that Monster Hunter World has against God of War is that it's not an interconnected world. And I think that that's an argument that's I don't even fair think, enough. I don't even think that's a fair argument because they're two different kinds of games. They are. So and I that's what I was going to say. I think that... As Honestly, a, if you're going off of your gut feeling, I think God of War has a up as an upside in the fact that you view it as one continuous whole, and the world feels more connected, and that way the art feels more connected. So the art direction does have a, a stronger tie-in. Uh, whereas what happens in in Monster Hunter World, and why I think it's so beautiful, is that they take every single map and make sure each map feels like a very different idea of taking a biome and going to its highest of highs and its lowest of lows. So, and it's all beautiful. But they make it like, well, what's traditionally beautiful? We're going to make it very colorful and exploding. Very colorful. Very... And then what's very creepy and dirty and, yeah. and grungy looking? We're going to pull that down. And what it does is very it creates, distinct. not only do I think that the monster designs are amazing, and I think the way they play into the world is really cool. Uh, and a lot of that ties into, these are this is a mechanical thing to an extent, uh, but Monster Hunter World's uh, idea behind making sure that there's a real living, a living ecosystem also ties in that art design. They want to make sure that... Uh, Things that are tra- traditionally prey for another thing is actually smaller or has some visible weakness that you can see. So the art is thought of in a sense that we're going to make sure that this design of this character makes sense as to why it would be constantly at war with this one and why it may lose. Yeah. And that these are all things that are that are constantly tied back in together. And I think that the idea of this hub area that's essentially the Monster Hunter World maps is that you have this 
area that has like a central idea and then it kind of just goes off. And like I said, it goes, it's so natural and so beautiful and so flowing. And I think that the game deserves every bit of credit in making sure that it, if nothing else, I think that game's art design has the most alive feeling world of any game I've played this world uh, this year. And it's not only because of art, it's because of other things, but the art definitely ties into it and how it just feels like a whole. And I mean, that goes from every single aspect of the game, from the way that the dirt looks, the way the ground looks, the way the grass is animated, the way the enemies and stuff move throughout that, uh, and the way that the enemies' color palettes go it's, again. Especially, uh, I can't think of the name of the area, but it's like the gassy one. It's yeah, like the little... Rotten Vale. Yeah, the, the Rotten Vale is beautiful. Sick. And that's what I was going to say is like, it's uh, that's where art design and I think character design and monster design all come together. Uh, the monsters themselves, they have this gene, like this really genius thing where essentially... Uh, what you're going to fight in any given area and why they seem to be a little more often, you're normally going to fight a monster in one particular uh, map. And now you can sometimes see them in other maps, but they'll try Which and keep them. Which is also really cool. Yeah. But essentially what happens, at least the first time you're rolling through the game, like when you fight a Rathalos, he's up in the top and he's high. And he himself is this great, you know, really colorful vibrant dragon dragon and which he's, is, fly, yeah. he's up on a peak which will then transform the like you'll basically leave that area to follow him either down a waterfall yeah or down a forest yeah and now what I, what I mean by that is like they keep this color palette around him so he's in the so he's in a vibrant area they make him vibrant when you go to the rotten veil think about everything you fight in the rotten veil all of its color palettes are, are met into that muted weird color tone that's in there yeah and they have that green thing so the design green thing uh, the, the the effluvium or whatever oh, they, they, the yeah. gas yeah um, and then I, and then you go down further and turn the corner and there's like that spring almost of like that it's like really blue water and it creates uh, this really cool contrast yeah. and it serves to when you hit that you kind of have this instant relief without even having to think about it that this is like oh we're in a different area we're safe. We're not in the effluvium where we can, we can breathe, you know? And I think that, that world just becomes so believable in the way that they break everything up and that they use the color tones in a very different way than God of War where everything's connected. Instead, they want it to feel connected within itself. Right. So every hub map feels like its own whole world. Yeah. If that's the best way to describe it. It makes perfect sense. So, and um, it, dude, and that game has just got so much lush, like, it, like all the environments are just, you know what? You're, you're convincing me. <laughs> it's like, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, man, I'm like, am I? Well, like the foliage in that game is so beautiful and, and organic. And that's the best looking multiplayer game I've ever played. Oh yeah. Like it's very rare that you get a multiplayer game like this that has this much attention to detail the color and then just the overall quality of that the you graphics. experience all together. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's, it nails it perfectly. Yeah. So you know what? I'm going to tie it. God of war and monster Hunter world. Bam. We got God it. of world <laughs> hunter monster war. I, I can't figure it out. That's, that's probably a good one. All right. Uh, this one was really surprising. Uh, and I don't, I, it, the community Ooh. answer was surprising. So the, the, the topic or the category Saul's ruining our tree. Sorry. Anyway, the category is best new IP, and the the community answer was a uh, surprisingly Detroit Become Human. That's that's not mine. I'm not saying that it should be, but is that not kind of surprising? Because no, I will say I, this: no, the game was the not. game was enjoying the, the game was enjoyable. Uh, I, I mean, I thought that it did a really good job. It sold well enough to be a new IP. It was refreshing in a year full of stuff like Spider Man and God of War and things that we already knew to some extent, but. I actually think that as good as it was, I think that 
indie games in a weird way actually overshadowed this. Yes, it did. In a sense of, and now that's interesting. Do we want to consider best indie game? And well, it, I'm still going to go with best new IP, and those indie games are IPs as well. So, like, one thing that's going to be excluded is obviously Guacamelee 2, which was good, not as good as the first one, it feels like. Um, but as far as new IP, I think Detroit's a good answer, but what would you say falls in line as yours? And I'm going to run through and look at my trophies real quick to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to think through my head right now. Uh, I'll put an announcement in Discord that this will be late. So, again, we, again, we apologize because oh, it's, yeah. we're 20 minutes away from the original airtime, and it takes almost an hour to put this up. So we'll be a little late. But um, I'm trying to think. So I'm probably going to go with Dead Cells. But I feel like there's something else in the back of my mind that should count. Like, I know I wish Monster Hunter technically would count. Like, if that game was called World, then yeah. But, because it's not really a Monster Hunter game, so then therefore it's a new IP. Yeah, I get what you're it, trying it, to it say. Because it feels so but... different as a Monster Hunter game. I mean, because God of War doesn't count. Uh, Spider-Man t- technically doesn't count, right? Like, I mean, I kinda... No, no, Spider-Man is an existing franchise. I'm thinking off from the ground up an entirely brand new experience that you played. I'm going to have to go with Dead Cells. Dead Cells, well... Once again, this comes down to Dead Cells and Hollow Knight. I know mine. What is that? Oh, I know it too, I think. What? See how well you know me. I'm trying to think of the name of it now because I can picture it perfectly in my head. Okay, what's it look like? (laughs) Oh my goodness. No, I'm trying to name it. I'm I'm trying to think. I know it's an indie game. No, it's not an indie game. Oh, it's not? Nope. What is is it then? It's a double A game. Oh, Vampire. Yeah, Vampire. Vampire. Uh, Uh, Vampire is definitely mine. Now that I'm actually thinking about it, I think that for as much as Detroit did interesting, Bloodborne. Yeah. No, I think that for all of its faults that it really does have, uh, just by nature of it being a double A game, uh, it overcame every bit of those and was still incredibly fun and unique and a weird experience that I really truly enjoyed. And I would be interested to actually see if it would continue. I think that it's ripe for continuation, but also if it doesn't, it's a really good one-off. My basic reasoning is that it did, did, again, like I said, a year full of games that take the Dark Souls idea and try and change it a bit, and this game did do that uh, with specifically blood, and I like that idea. It was like, okay, you're going to get blood, and you're going to use this blood to level up uh, and, and change the way that you go through these skill trees. But the biggest thing that I actually think was really ambitious about it is the way that I say I don't I can never imagine a double, a triple A game doing this because it's such an odd thing to try and pull off and they didn't do it perfectly but nobody else has ever done it before necessarily. And that's the idea that you have these subsections of the map, right? And and you move throughout them or whatever uh where they're essentially little uh villages or whatever you want to call them. They're not villages. I, well, I can't think of them. Um but the regions of the map are broken up and those regions have an individual list where you can actually go through and you can look at who lives there and what your relationship with is them, if they're healthy, uh, if they're uh, you know mad at you or whatever. You can go through all that and you can sit there and you can actually try and make sure that you keep that section of the map clear, which will help them stay in better health. If you don't keep it clear, it continues to start running down and that goes and that changes visually the ideas. The further it goes towards chaos, uh, the more boarded up windows and evacuated sense there is. And that's all controlled by how many people live or how many people die and how much sickness is out there you can keep everybody alive by helping them as you are a doctor in the game so you can actually sit there and help them and give them medicine and give them stuff like that it's almost like soul sacrifice in a way right like you could pick to say or technically not really i mean yeah i think if you're talking about the general idea of what soul sacrifice was doing where you're going to make the general decision as to whether you and and bioshock
Stock did it to an extent, a little, but a little far, bit. far more limited. Yeah. Where it's like, well, all you have is the the, the little sisters. Are you going to sacrifice or are you going to save her? Uh, and I think that yeah, you've seen that evolve to an extent. Uh, again, even Soul Sacrifice was only certain things. On this, every single NPC has lines of dialogue, relationships with other ones. You can find out tricks about them and stuff like that, and how you can go actually go about killing them without being seen. Uh, when you kill them, you hear their last thoughts, and you can determine whether or not you really should have or not. And sometimes like you play this game with yourself where it's like, it's beneficial to me to kill them because I'll get more blood, but that makes the areas more dangerous. Right. Makes and the it potentially, you hate you. and or- it potentially closes down side quest. But so you, you kind of do this idea where you're like, how evil are they? How much do they truly deserve this death? At least that's how I did it. And I really enjoyed that idea and that extra oh, layer that, of gameplay. choice. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Of letting every NPC have a real potential to do something. And then you actually get to go through, talk to all of them. And if you talk to them enough, you can determine easy ways to kill them. Or if they have information that's worth keeping them alive. And then also how you want to play. Do you want to be an evil vampire and kill a bunch of people to feed your bloodlust? Or do you want to fight it? Yeah, and I think mine mine will be a tie between uh, Hollow Knight and uh, Dead Cells. If I'm going, I to... still think you need to play Vampire at some point. Yeah, if you, you ever get a chance, in, didn't you? Yeah, I'm about to see if it's on sale because uh, I'll play it today or tonight if it is. But um, yeah, if I had to edge one out, I'd probably say um, Hollow Knight, just because over Dead Cells, higher quality, more of an experience. Yeah, but still, I like them both equally, but for, because what they are. Um, Ah, yeah, it's just hard, man. It's like if you ask me that question on any given day, it could change. So I don't want to do any kind of ties. And I just looked at my trophies again. I have no new IPs at all this year except like three. And there's very which few. I did not like. Yeah, and that's why I'm glad I thought to look at Vampire because I really did enjoy that game. But there's something about getting a camera on you and being on the spot where you're like, I really want to make sure I don't forget something that I loved. And I really, I, I, I sung Vampire's praises a lot. Uh, before the game even came out, and then I was so glad that it was one of those examples where it was a game that I got hyped for, and it didn't let me down. It actually exceeded my expectations, and that's cool. That is cool. That's good, um, too, for the for a double-A, almost budget game in a way. Yeah, and I think you'll be surprised that when you go to play it, there's this level. They have, they did a lot as a double-A game. They, have the, they strike this thing between being as detailed as a triple-A game in some areas and then sadly falling victim to some normal double-A uh, problems. But I think what they exceed in massively uh, is general world design and mood. I think that I've seen very few games that encapsul- encapsulate uh, the the tone and mood of the world. Like, it's very moody. And when you're moving through, it's like, oh, man, there's like... You know, there's scribbling on the on the doors and stuff. Like, when you're moving through... I'm actually trying to think... Of this. It's more than just mood. I'm trying to think of the, the wording I would really use. Uh, but you can really feel it when you're moving around. It's like it's got such a weight to everything and the huh. way that they choose to do it. Um, I'm gonna go look what do they call it whenever, cell. like, you know, it, it's the essence of when you're in there? I don't know why I'm brain farting on that. No, not the aesthetic. Um, but oh well. I mean, regardless, play Vampire if you haven't. It's really good. I think you would enjoy it. Um, if if you like what I said, if that even sounds loosely fun to you, try and catch it. Even if it's on sale, do one of those, uh, you know, catch it for $30 or less if it gets to that point. Um, and it's sold well enough that I think we actually may see more from them. And uh, no, it is uh, $60 on the PlayStation Store. Sadly, huh? Yeah. I mean, don't wrong. It's worth $60, but. I was really hoping to pick it up for a sale. But... Hey, look at GameStop, man. Later. That's true. Uh, I mean, I know you like doing your, but if nothing else, hey, if you don't like it, you trade it in, then you're out of less money. Yeah, I guess that's true, too. Um, this next one, I'm going to let you do because I don't have an answer for. Really? VR. Yep. I never played a VR game this year. Yeah, you didn't play any. You didn't even not, get, you didn't get around to Firewall like I kept not, wanting yep, you to do. Not one. 
All right, community answers Moss, which I think is a great answer, really good one. Uh, my personal answer, and it'll be quick, sort, and sweet. Uh, I will say real quick, I did not get to play uh, AstroBot VR, and I have it, and I just haven't had the time to pull it in. So that yours. game is going to be omitted from me, though I do think it looks amazing. Mine's Firewall Zero Hour. I thought it was going to be a Justin Roiland game. Oh, no, that one was fun, and I like those games, but they are a little different. You play them kind of once. You may go back to them again, but they're more about the immediate experience and the fun you have with them, and you probably remember it. But the thing about Firewall is I remember my first time playing, but I continue to have fun every time I play it. Yeah, And I also think that it's truly, like we talk about, like Resident Evil was a true example of what VR can really do. I think that that's exactly what we got with uh with <clears throat> Firewall, and I hope that it continues to Excuse grow me. and becomes the Rainbow Six of VR. Yeah. That would be very smart of them to do because there's very little competition in that area. So, Best soundtrack. Community is Red Dead 2, which I know a lot of people were hit or miss on with that. I know it has a lot of good and unique music. Uh, once again, I did play a lot. Never got back onto it like I wanted to, which is very surprising that you beat it. I did not. We switched roles there Yep. Uh, in a way. But for me, unexpectedly, God of War. <laughs> I don't know about you. No, God of War is a uh, real high up there. Um, <clears throat> or not, I should say, not unexpected. I think God of War is truly my answer as well. My ten, my barometer for this tends to be: Did I ever listen to it outside of the game? See, I, I, I've only done that with like a handful of games throughout my entire life. Sure, but God of War is one of them. Surprisingly, I actually listen to the soundtrack. Uh, I mean, I listen to it every month or so, at least once, and I listen to it a lot closer to the, when the game came out. There's just something about the drums and then the the Nordic vocals that that game has. That's like the doom. Like, I, I'm not gonna do it because yeah. I'm terrible at mimicking music, but it puts you in the mood. Like it's like you hear that, and it's just like you hear them drums echoing, and it's like, oh yeah. And I think it hypes you up real good. I think that's why the community answer is Red Dead because the reason Red Dead is not it for me is that it's. Outside of the song that they played at the uh, the Game Awards, the official Game Awards, um, and I can't remember the name of it for they the life the song of me. At the, at the uh, Red Dead? Yeah, uh, it was. It, it's very late in the Red Dead game, and in the placing where it's at in the game, it is very appropriate. It's got a lot of weight. It holds a lot, way more meaning. Um, but it's one of these very odd things where the rest of the game has that soundtrack that is exactly what you would expect in terms of. It feels appropriate, and it feels like you're in the right mood and time set, like time period. Like you know, you hear like the, the kind of folky, yeah, like uh, the you twang know, on the guitar. Yeah, and, and then, you're like, uh, okay, the banjos in a way. Yeah, it's like, okay, this is this is fitting. This feels right, and it gets me in in the mindset and mood of being in this time period, which I think is a fair enough argument as to why I think God of Wars is really good as well. But I think what happens is that. For me, the only time that the Red Dead soundtrack elevates to being so much more and adding to the specific scene is that one song. Whereas God of War was like does the that whole thing. the whole time through. The, every scene gets so much more weight specifically because of the, the, the soundtrack uh, and what they chose to do. And I mean, the sad moments have this decidedly... Oh, it's like a haunting sound from... I can't remember the name of that instrument. I, I know it's like a hurdy-gurdy or something ridiculous like that. Don't quote me on that, but it's something ridiculous like that. And it's got – actually, it's a it's an instrument that you kind of see uh, in uh, Sea of Thieves, the little one where you wind on it and play. It's got this, like, weird resonance. Well, when we play Sea of Thieves, and I'm going to play that then. Yeah, it's got a weird resonance to it that's really it, – it, it's, like, hollow but full all at the same time. And it creates this, like, haunting about. sound. Yeah. And so I, I think that the game used that to such a good effect. And I think that Bear McCreary, which was the uh, the soundtrack um, – what do you want to call it? The uh, – the, 
director or whatever uh, for that. Uh, anyway, when you actually look at that, the composer, thank you. <laughs> I, was like, I, I was like, um, anyway, the, director? for him being a composer and what he chose to do, he's known for using that instrument. And I think that by doing something that's a little more out of the blue and different, it's a lot like, uh, I think there's why Nier Automata stands out is that not only is Nier Automata really interesting, but the soundtrack for that game. That's one of the soundtracks I've listened to outside of the game. And it's so amazing. Yeah, it is. That um, but there's is good. that the chaos language and how they choose to use it as a melody tool instead of actually a, a lyrical tool yeah. is really interesting to me. Uh, and, and that is something that elevates the game above normal music. And I, I think that it's fair enough to say that in a year that we had, I mean, Spider-Man's uh, soundtrack was very similar in the sense that it, it was very all on it the did, top with Marvel. Yeah, it just fit in with what you expected and from Marvel. It was a and good that was, soundtrack. It yeah. was really good. Just not not as good as God of War, not as good as what I played of Red Dead. And it's just, there's even stuff in Hollow Knight. And I played a little bit of Celeste, too. All that stuff there is better than what I consider Spider-Man to be. Because Spider-Man's <laughs> very typical. Uh, but in the same vein of soundtrack, best sound design, which Community wins God of War. That's not my answer. I'm really curious on yours. Do you what is do you have one? Is it God of War? I think if we want to go in the full on AAA space, God of War makes a lot of sense. It does, uh, and that's why it's my close second. Monster Hunter World being my first. I I had a feeling the the, the and each. I you know I think that I, for the same reason I talk about being split between the two. Yeah, the sound design also aided in the sense that every area that you're in were al- was alive. Whereas one of the things that God of War does is that God of War doesn't feel alive because you go through a lot of areas that feel ab- rightfully abandoned because of where you're at. You're in the middle, not even abandoned. Like you you feel like you're in places that have no civilization or no. But even to an extent, the the Just the wildlife the wildlife seems absent the the and, and what and god of war oh, okay that's what i mean like god of war feels barren and like a harsh waste like a harsh environment that you don't that for some reason like you don't until you get into the open area of god of war there's not even a lot of wildlife so the sound design is a lot more very narrow in the weight of the like you throwing your axe and the enemy sounds and and the voice acting obviously uh, and I think that there's a lot to be said about that. And if we want to go off of voice acting alone, I think God of War's probably got. Uh, and I will actually give uh, Red Dead its credit here. I think Red Dead also has supremely voice acted sections. Uh, and I, I'm so glad that gaming's gotten to this point where everything is elevated to a point where it's what you expect from movies, if not even better sometimes. Oh, um, most definitely better sometimes. Uh, so I think that in that. In that area, there's a lot to be said, but if we want to talk about the way that the sound helps flesh out the world, I do think that there's quite the argument specifically uh, for Monster Hunter World. So I, I kind of agree, because Monster Hunter World's voice acting All the monsters, is not yeah, amazing. The, yeah, no. It's exactly what you expect from a Japanese game. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's okay. It's it's solid, but yeah, it's right. not great. But it, the environments, the, the like, I mean environments like waterfalls, the effervescent things that... It's yeah, not effervescent, but it's those things. Yeah, that every, and all the monsters, with all having unique sounds, steps, everything, is absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, I, I think I... God of War I, being very close second. I agree that it's an odd split, and I, I may even say that, for me personally, it might be a tie. I, I, it's uh, God of War does something really, really well that is something I pay attention to in games. I don't know if a lot of people do this or not, but I think it's a weird quirk <laughs> that I have. Maybe completely normal. But whenever I'm like playing in a game for the first time, like God of War... I'm looking at where my feet are, and I'm listening to see if the sound changes if I step from like wet sand onto wood or something. Yeah. And God of War did that <laughs> really surprisingly, well. like not surprisingly, but 
amazingly well. Though I want to give, uh, I want to give credit there as well to Monster in the World because Monster Hunter pays attention to that to a good extent. It does. Too. Yeah. When you start stepping in mud, it it's feels just, squishy. It's, and, and even even like it sounds this is squishy. off sound design, but even even character <coughs> model seems to slug or something when you go through that. Yeah. Even when it's not deep mud, it's about how all these elements tie together. But yeah, definitely, I think to some extent those make sense to me. Uh, and I would even I would actually give a real nod toward Red Dead. I think Red Dead does deserve nomination, mention, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, all right, we're getting down close to the, the nitty-gritty nitty here. Next up is Best Metroidvania. This is a year that came out with a ton of Metroidvanias. Uh, and ton. it's one of those things where, like we've mentioned, Dead Cells is not a true Metroidvania, but I don't feel like, we, we mentioned this in the Discord the other day, I don't feel like any genre is truly that genre anymore. I think if you really want to go into the definition of what makes an RPG, almost every game these days, technically, technically speaking, yeah. is an RPG. Um and this actually stemmed from some website giving, um, and I don't know if it was a community or not. I really, but I, it was essentially saying that the best RPG of the year was Detroit Become Human. Nope. And some people were laughing at it. But you know what? Realistically speaking, out of every game that came out this year, it's not sad. It's not silly to think of that as an RPG. And not at all. I mean, honestly, it is the game that most put you in the role of somebody. You are literally role playing. Well, the the problem I have with that though is that. Typically, I'm not role playing the person. I'm because I see things that they don't see, so I feel like that's a big problem. There's like a gap there. There, there are times in which you will find things, or you'll see characters do something, or you'll realize it. And like, but your character's technically not, facing away. Yeah, he he wouldn't be seeing him exactly. And there's a disconnect. So there's I, a big yeah. disconnect there for me. I, I can see but that. That's eh. Hollow, so, Hollow Knight. So would you say that role playing games for you to be truly feeling like you're role playing need to be first person? No, no. It's just don't like if you're going to make astute observations like that and then have me use them out of or if you expect me to make astute observations and then make decisions with them in the game. and My character doesn't see them. There's a problem. There's a disconnect. Well, there. see, I, I don't feel like Detroit did that. I feel like Detroit would there let you see times. them away from that, but you could always steer your character toward them and then discover them with your character. And that was the idea. You connect with a character in a sense where you notice it from the outward, but then you turn around and you so. can go and experience there's, it. There's one or two things in Marcus's story that was like. There's no way Marcus should have known that, but I know that. I can't think of what they are, but I know for a fact. Fair enough. Yeah, I've been a little removed. Twice. I've been removed from uh, it myself. So. I actually forgot a lot about that game. Um, but anyway, best Metroidvania. The answer for the uh, uh, the answer for the community was a tie between Hollow Knight and Dead Cells. Um, Hollow Knight wins for me, uh, without a doubt. I didn't play Hollow Knight, so as a true Metroidvania, that wins. Dead Cells wins for me because yeah. I didn't play Hollow Knight. Uh, yeah, Hollow Knight is between is true to its bones. You. You've never played Guacamelee at all, right? Nope. Okay. Guacamelee 2 was a solid game. It was really fun. It was really good. Um, it just felt a tad bit uninspired because it was more of a refinement yeah. on the previous game. Uh, and even though it was really fun and really solid, just like I expected from the first game, uh, I think that Dead Cells take on it. And I really do think it's the way that Dead Cells... I like the Metroidvania-style games anyway, uh, but I think Dead Cells specifically speeding it up a whole lot and making it feel like it was Twitch-based made me really like it. Because yeah. the, the other one that I think that a lot of people have mentioned, and I, a couple people voted for it, uh, was Time Spinners. And Time Spinners was far more tra traditional. See, it I never was got slower. To I never played it. 
I know you recommended it. Yeah, it was slower, uh, a little more plotting, and a little more like you ha- you don't have a lot of different combos and attacks. Like you have a, cur- a, cu- a couple of different weapons, and they react the same way every time you do it, much like Symphony of the Night. When you throw your whip out, love it. you know what your whip's going to do. Yep. It's the exact same every time. Uh, and I think that while I love that because it gives it, it creates a confidence in what you're going to do when you respond. Of course. And I think that that exists in Dead Cells through its jumping system. Uh, I think that... Uh, you know what you're doing when you're in your movement, but they change the weapons up to an extent where the weapons have such a different effect on what they're going to do. Definitely with the random rolls, like, well, you're going to get a weapon that when you when you swipe it, it's going to throw out a blast and then shoot an arrow upwards and to the right. And it's like, well, you're going to have to really pay attention and change the way that you play based off of this. There's also a melee. You have a secondary, so you can have not only your main weapon, but you can have a secondary, be it a, a bow or spells or whatever. And then you have mines that you can play with and things that are yeah. more. So I think what it did to expand on that within the same style of gameplay was really co- was cool to me. And that's why it stands out as my favorite. That makes sense. Metro, uh, Hollow Knight just hit it all to a T to me. Uh, the whole and finding made, an area, then backtracking to access it later. When I finally play Hollow Knight, I will check back in and tell you if my answer has changed. Okay. But, but uh, yeah, Hollow Knight, I think you guys would have guessed that. Next up, we have Best of the Backlog. This is a game that could that didn't have to come out this year, but something you finally got around to playing. Well, actually, essentially the idea behind this was a couple of people mentioned it, and I like the idea of going, you don't, you didn't, like, this is a game that came out last year, would have gotten awards last year, or, or, or even older, and you're just now getting around to it. And what game was the most mentioned? Now, of course, the, the problem with this is backlogs are so wildly different, and they could be from any year that you never know what game's going to come up. But surprisingly... Mine was Majora's Mask. <laughs> no. no. Yeah. The Communities was Horizon Zero Dawn. Which, which is interesting. Understandable to an extent. Uh, not, and that was something... the only game that had multiple answers. Every other one was one-offs. Which is crazy. Uh, mine, though, is Enter the Gungeon. Oh, man. So you know what? Game. Is that yours too? Yes. Yeah, dude. Enter yes. the Gungeon is such Enter a the good game. Amazing. It's another game that I bought on PS4 and on Switch to play just in, on the couch when I don't want to like when I watch Netflix or whatever. So Enter the Gungeon is a fantastic game. If you are a fan of Binding of Isaac or if you even like the idea of a completely randomly generated dungeon to go through and you're you can play as a bullet as a character. And if uh, you like uh, gun humor, yeah, dude. There's a lot of it's just as humorous of a. What yeah. was that? It was the fire. Oh, okay, the fire is blowing up behind us. But uh, <laughs> I thought like that was your window or something. But anyways, sorry for the audio or yeah, audio only listeners who didn't see the fire behind us. If I knew that it was going to distract you so much, I wouldn't have put it on. So it didn't distract me at all until then. But uh, yeah, Enter the Gungeon for sure. That's a good answer. Um, yeah, that one's really solid. Really that, what's funny is I forgot that that's actually what I played this year because it was so early in the year. Uh, but I really enjoyed my time with that game. It was really, really amazing. Yeah. And I've been, I've not really played a lot of backlog otherwise. Me neither. I, uh, I haven't had a chance to. Yeah. I, I've pretty much been playing games as they come out plus destiny. I have um, one. I have one that I think I will at least give notable because it really did surprise me. Uh, and that is uh, mirror's edge catalyst. I, oh, yeah. I really didn't expect to, I, I bought it just on a weird whim and it was, I was like, surely I'll like it a little bit. I really enjoyed it. It and, wasn't and you perfect. Got it for like a really low price, too, didn't you? Six dollars. Yeah, that's a steal. So I mean, really, I, yeah. But I still think Enter the Gungeon's my real answer. But that one is notable answer. I, I think. think this is another three-way tie or three-way win. Best narrative. Yep. Easily. God of War for the community, me and Brett, with Red Dead Two edging very close to being the winner. I think we were only off by a couple of votes there, but if my math's right, like yes. two, I think. Yeah, it was very close. Uh, two or two or one or two votes on that. So. 
as you guys can tell, we've gushed about God of War enough. I think you know, you guys know it's good. We like it. Uh, yeah, because we don't. The, the thing about getting in the narrative, I'm just crazy about the next one too. Really, uh, and that, that's really funny. But the the thing about the narrative, uh, specifically in God of War, with is that we we want to talk about it to some extent. And I think we've talked enough about it in talking about Atreus and character interactions as to why I think it's so important, uh, and the fact that we talked about every character is used to good point. But essentially, the narrative itself is driven by these characters and driven by. Uh, I mean, really, I want to say the narrative is driven by the characters in a way that is really surprising because there's the, the narrative is there but it all ties into character interactions i mean the whole game is built upon this and i built about along this idea that these characters interacted so this is going to happen you're going to continue be it from the earliest interactions of uh, uh of the the handprint on the tree right yeah that the character interaction between the tree and, uh, and what the trees meant from when they knew they were going to do that and then uh, of course carrying it back with a trace and all the character actions that go there the character actions are what they use to drive you through the map uh, early on until you get to the meat of what's going on so that then you have a greater idea. It's but a big chunk to bite. Realistically speaking, you have a bigger idea, but from the very beginning of the game, you know that what the character interaction that's driving you throughout the entire game is literally just the mission to carry your mother's ashes. And I love the idea that that's, that's going to be the whole game. You don't lose the forest for the trees in this game. No. There's other stuff that happens, and, there, and it's arduous to get there. But in right. the long run, the grand ending and idea of this game is that you make it to this mountain the whole time. That was what you were supposed to do, yeah. and you and get there. And that's, I don't even think that's spoiler. I love no. that the game is that focused and that, yes, other things are going to come up and we're going to have to deal with them. That's the but ultimately, they're in service in getting to this original end goal. Yeah, that, and that's what, the, that's what the best part about this experience is. It's such a simple task to walk to this mountain and yet this whole entire story, action, you know, emotional feelings, all of it transpires from just that one it, like supposed to be simple thing to do. Yeah. And yet it all spirals out into this this fantastic package. And I think game. that also ties in the narrative of this was literally all in his, in the mother's plan. Yep. And I think is. that that's and that's what I think is so amazing. You and that again, that's not a spoiler. You essentially roll through the game and you start to realize that this, this was all, all to cuz she was going to die no matter what. So essentially now it's about making sure that Kratos and Atreus can find a way to live with each other and grow together and find some as individuals things out as well. Yeah. Uh, which do happen and really cool. Right. Um, best performance. Uh, and I actually have a slightly different answer for this one, but the, uh, the best performance for the community is Roger Clark. Arthur Morgan is who he was uh, portraying in Red Dead Redemption two. And I think that that's a very, very honorable answer. I mean, I, I, like I said, I was genuinely surprised yeah. uh, by how much I ended up liking him. And a lot of that came down to not only solid writing for him, uh, but very, very good performance. Um, and good, you know, kudos to him. And I'm glad he, I mean, I'm, I'm okay so. with him winning uh, the thing. What would you say is your best performance? Jeremy Davies, Balder. Balder. Again. Once the, well, like I said before or, or earlier in, the, in this show, the, the, when he arrives in like the first fifteen, like fifteen minutes to an hour of the game, from then on, his character is nothing but like just. I want to every time I see him, I'm excited to see him because like this dude's crazy. This dude's a really, really well made bad guy. I'm excited. So, and again, I, I think that it comes down to like I said, God of War is literally a game 
full of well-written characters. Yeah. So and 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 that and not only well-written characters but well-performed characters. They made sure that they made great scripts for what they were going to be doing, but they chose people to execute those scripts perfectly. Those scripts perfectly. But I think um, I agree. And I, I do think it may come back to my general idea of a good bad guy because a part of what sells a good bad guy, regardless of good writing, because that is part of it, that's that's most of the battle. But once you once you have a great script and a great way to try and make your bad guy likable and to an extent and and relatable, you have to make them somebody. You have to give it to somebody who can play that entire emotional spectrum. And that's right. exactly what happens with Balder. Yep. And I think that that's awesome. I mean, he's, it is. He's he's. He, if I have to say, like, he's within my top five to ten favorite bad guys of all times in video games. Yeah, I mean, he's really up there because it's funny. You you have other series that are known for a long time of this idea that they're going to have these great characters. Uh, like, Uncharted's one of them. And yet, Lazarevich is one of the worst villains in a video game I've ever had. That was a bad guy for Uncharted 2. I bet yeah. you probably didn't even remember that. I, yeah, I didn't even remember his name, but I remember what he looked like. Because he's not a good villain. And, and, what's, and, and it's, a, it's another thing when the game outshines the bad guy so well because it's such a well-made game and the, ba- and the bad guy is so poorly written or just not even i'm not gonna say poorly written but just wrongly written in a way like it, it deserves something better well what, what's funny is that that game suffers from this idea that actually the bad guy the friend in the early thing that ends up screwing you over flynn he's actually a better villain but he doesn't get to play a big enough yeah part. he well, well never mind i won't go too far i'm not gonna it. go too far yeah. into it either uh it's but, just it's one of those interesting things where i think that it stands above the rest because there's a number of great villains. I mean, there's a, there's a number of great heroes, right? And I do think that Christopher Judge as Kratos was w- that's, extremely that's well done. Two, that's my yeah. number two. Christopher Judge it was a fantastic Kratos. Uh, he, I like that guy personally. Like that guy is a nice guy. He, he just seems like he has a heart full of gold. And especially at the Game Awards, like the whole Read It Boy thing was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it was. I like that they are they pay attention. You can tell that people like it. I, I you want, can tell they enjoy doing it. Yeah. I I do generally want to say one last answer, and I'm curious as to where you think, because I actually think that we agreed when the game first came out. Uh, I do think that there's some notable, there should be some notable mention of Connor and Detroit Become Human. I think that he is easily the best performed character of the three. And don't For wrong, sure. they're all well done. But I think the reason his is also there is because we talked about that weird, that emotional spectrum. And his is even, it's exaggerated because of the fact that he's supposed to be a robot. Yeah. So what makes his performance so amazing, and it depends on how you play the game, truly, but I would say if you're going to play the game, at some point in time, play him as a good person yeah. who's selfless. It and it really... starts to figure it out because you, you have this weird thing where you're playing as him and you have this understanding of like, he's meant to be this true good. And what makes it so great is that throughout the events of the game, he's not supposed to be the true good, so he's supposed to be this true... Um, we want to call it. He's supposed to be the true embodiment of order. Yeah, he's, he's supposed to be. Uh, androids are supposed to be androids, and they're supposed to be subservient to their humans, and they're not supposed to go AWOL and and go crazy and live their Lawful own lives. Good. So what ends up happening is he's fitting this very reasonable role of what you're thinking of, like okay, well he fits in this way, and he almost comes off cold early on. He, he does come off very cold, especially the, the very first thing you do with him, the very first mission, which was the demo, 
is very cold of a person. He does not care about anybody there. He's literally an android. But by the end, and everything he's saying is in the well. You're just it's just an error. Lawful good. It, yeah. It's just an error in your coding. You are not supposed to be acting this way. And the guy that uh, the, the plays human's him. more important. Save the human. And even early on, the game lets you try and be a little less cold with him. But there always is this back end of he truly believes that this android is in the wrong. Right. And then by throughout the end, throughout the game, depending on how you play him, you get to see this. Odd, like his eyes slowly opening, and I think that that's a lot of what makes his performance so well is how well the performance plays off of Clancy, uh, uh, Clancy Brown, yeah, who is uh, Hank in Hank. the game, which uh, is his officer uh, person that he gets coupled up with. And I think that there's a lot to be said about the way they play together. And those are two great actors, and they get to grow in a way that makes their character interactions by the time they get to the end feel so much more deserved and earned. And except I, when you get my ending. Yeah, I got literally the worst ending of the game, which is why I didn't make it on the Because list. Saul did not pay attention to any of the rest me of the game. And, hey, me and my fiance were both playing. We could not find it at all. We were like running around that snow area. Anyways, Brian Deckard, the guy who uh, voiced the mocapped Connor, really cool guy. He's constantly on Twitter promoting his Twitch streams <laughs> and stuff. So I highly got check. Uh, highly suggest you guys check him out. Yep. Uh, so move through the end of this here, and I it's think it's gonna be very easy to do so. <laughs> yeah, but I have one. Final thing that's going to take a little bit of time, and it's about Red Dead, and that's something I just really want to get out there, and it's the reason as to why it's not something. But we'll get into it. First things first, Santa Monica is the uh, studio of the year, the community answer, and I'm also I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that. There, I think that they are, and I think that a, a big reason I saw, and for me personally, and a big reason I saw for many people, is partially because of how everybody for the studio came out and were so likable. That's in things like making the God of War memes of of uh, common TV shows, uh, like you know the the kids sitting at the computer giving his thumbs up, and it was Atreus, yeah. and then. I mean, they making the Kratos, Kratos, Ron from uh, uh, Parks, Parks and Rec, and, Rec. Uh, they, and then the the the, the magic the thing with, with the, the yeah, Freya. I'll, yeah, never mind. I, I keep getting her confused with somebody else in that game. Anyway, I, um, I, I did that a lot. Yeah, I, I know where you're. I know where you're trying to go because yeah. Freya is the mother, right? I'm not talking about Freya though. That's I'm not not Faye. It's Faye. There, I'm sorry. There you go. See, yeah, I did no, the same you thing just, as you. You just did it. You just did it. I got I'm sorry. Yep. Okay, anyway. But no, my point being is I think there's that, and I think that Corey came out as such a likable and uh, heartfelt person. Uh, yes. I think a lot of things aided them in that. He, he he filmed his reaction to the game's uh, reviews, and it was really, you could tell, it was like, was like touching to him, yeah, truly. He was very uh, and, and he's been out, he, he went on a tour going around and talking about the game, and it was obvious that he had just finally gotten to make something that he was just so incredibly proud of because it was super personal, and he didn't get to, it wasn't like that before. And I think it was also for him, you got to see him physically show his evolved, like his his evolution as a writer because he worked on God of War two and he did the story for God of War two, but the story between God of War two, which is a great game and I love the game and I love the story, but between this it's night and day and you see how much he's grown as not only an artist, but as a writer yeah. uh, and as a director and, and, and making sure that he narrows down his scope of what he wants and gets it as close as the, the original vision he had was. I think that's definitely part of it. So Saul, do you have a different answer or is that no, it? it's, it? That's mine. And pretty much you hit the nail on the head there. Okay, the last one, and I'm gonna let you go off on that one. And then so this, I'm gonna go ahead and say this. I know, I know, this is a, a, a three tie now. Yes, it because is because of the addendum you just had to make make for yourself a second ago. But uh, so game of the year, the big one through the community, Brett and I. But Brett's gonna have some words to say about reasoning why uh, is God of War. So we've spoken yeah. about this game a lot. Already in this episode. So you guys can tell we've gushed about it. It's won numerous awards from us. 
because uh, we're so famous, they matter a lot. Um, about <laughs> about things uh, uh, or through uh, awards in here, and we've talked about it a lot. We have an impressions videos up. If you guys want to get our like week old impressions of the game right after we beat it, uh, because I do. There is complaints in there still that I still have to this day that are about some of the pacing issues, and it's not even necessarily pacing. It's about the length of the game. I felt like the game was a little too long in turnout. out. But I do think that there is a uh, there's a testament there that even though that's a problem I had with Spider-Man as well, that God of War made all these awards and lists because of the, the amazing writing, the amazing characters, the world building, and not only on top of that, but it's such a fantastic and just spectacular package that the flaws in that game were very easily ignorable. The flaws almost became this, like, character to it. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's just got a little charm and character here of... You, it's you like view it's, the flaws in a more positive light because... Of the, how, the, how the positive the entire game experience was. Yeah, uh, and that's a really interesting thing. And I think that to some extent I have similar feelings with Red Dead, but there's a big reason as to why Red Dead is not it. Uh, and it comes down in a lot of areas. The same reason I talked about... Uh, and these are just quick mentions, but the same reason I talked about God of War and its narrative uh, and pacing issues as to why I think Spider-Man doesn't deserve a narrative uh, mention, uh, those same things exist in Red Dead. And a lot of that comes down to one specific idea and uh, or one specific problem I have with the game. And I finally was able to really figure out the way I wanted to try and word it. Um, I thought about this a lot last night because it's the same thought I've had in the game since I beat it. And I've said this in some form and extent to Blake whenever, because he, he was so hyped on it. And so he was constantly asking me about it. And I finally found a way to vocalize what I really mean by this. The game is a story of two games and two different ideas of one studio that refuses to go one way or the other. And that's specifically Rockstar's... Essentially what I want to get here with it is that Rockstar did one specific thing in the design for this game. They did not decide to glue one way or the other to what type of game they wanted to make. Instead, you get a game that when you're playing it as a as a linear game and just rolling through the story without doing any of the side crap, it's great. Yeah. Outside of the fact that you have to run everywhere, it, that's the only part that starts to make it feel disjointed. But it plays, if you're just playing the story, as this amazing linear experience that almost I actually do think would have been better as just a linear game, more akin to something like The Order. Um, now, that is so contrasted in the way that they tru- they choose to go about the open world. So this is a game that, in one sense, the story sense, the story mission sense, does not want to let you do anything that the game does not want you to do. Yeah. And that means that uh, if you run a slightly different direction than they think you would, if you run too quickly away from somebody who's trying to talk to you, you fail the mission because of stupid reasons. That's, right? that's very common rock star. And you don't even get to do the missions in the way you think. So you think, well, this is a story mission that has to be done, but maybe I have some agency over the way that I'm going to do it. Right? So when you think about it in that sense, there's other games that do this very similarly. So you have, like, you have a game like Dishonored. Yeah. Uh, Dishonored's a game where it's, here's the answer of what you have to be done, and this is a mission that you have to do, but you have an endless ways to get to it and, and, and accomplish the goal. Um, whereas what Red Dead does is goes, no, we're trying so hard to tell you a story, and we want to make sure these things get shown. So instead, to make sure these really, really important story beats get handled the way that we think they should be handled, we're going to knock it down, and you can't do anything. You, 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 you know, if you have to get in, if you have to break into somewhere, you can only break in via one door. There's not multiple doors. You have to go in through this door, and there's a specific reason you have to go in through this door because it's going to trigger this cutscene. It's right? very, it's very... It's closed off. Yeah, I was going to say very... Um... 
straightforward on a path. Yes, and and that is the outside structure, and that's in such stark contrast to what they want you to do in the open world, yeah. which is to do everything the way you think it should be done, be it hunting, camping, or anything. Free reign there, but then when you get into the story, it locks you down to this specific way that it wants you to move and that it wants you. This is very common Rockstar traits we're talking about here that has and been present crazy in every Rockstar game. The the game that I can remember it most most loosely, I think Grand Theft Auto Liberty City Stories was the last time, and then that, that also is, extends to three uh, because they're very similar in their design. Both of those games allowed you to play the game and even do the story missions in ways you saw fit. It was less constricting. But as they've gotten More to this freedom. point where they want to make everything super uh, scripted and make sure that these certain beats happen, They've cut off to where you can't do the same thing, and they, they where essentially, if me and you played the story, every bit, every story beat happened the exact way, the exact for us. same way. All Which right? is not not necessarily. It's not a bad thing. It's not. Yeah, it's not a problem, and except the way the game wants you to play the rest of the game. I, I think the game should have been either one or the other. If the no. whole game wanted to make sure that the entire game was a scripted, controlled experience from the get-go, it should have just been that. I think otherwise, if they wanted to make this open world that feels disjointed with the story, in my opinion, yeah. I think if you make that open world that way, then you need to carry that into the story, just like other games have done, like Dishonored. I know that this is a game that is in far, far higher scale, but let's try and compare the games in a way, uh, the best way that you can. I can't because uh, so I didn't play enough of Red Dead. Okay, yeah. I, 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 I don't mean, want to. This is more on me, but I, right. I say uh, compare it to something like Skyrim or even Oblivion, right? I think Oblivion's really a more uh, graceful choice. Uh, when you look at this and you see something like Oblivion, which really lets you go through and do everything. So the Oblivion uh, Brotherhood of the. Uh, Oh, the uh, dark, dark brotherhood. The dark brotherhood. Yeah. Uh, when you're playing through that, you get told what you're supposed to do, and then you get told the area, and, and then you and just you, like, here's who, here's who you need to kill. You figure you're out how you kill the hell, right? And then you roll through, and you're like, um, am I going to drop this statue on his head? I'm going to hit him with the poison or am apples. I gonna, am I going to kill his butler dude who's so crazy? And that was kill one him? of the best missions in the game. The, the mansion mission. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great example of a game that says, tell you what. We're essentially going to say, here's the area. In this area, you're going to choose your own adventure. What do you want to yeah. do for it? You get to pick all these different cards and figure out what they are, and you're just going to do them. And you put them. To, you put you you, you set those cards together fall. how you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, here's all the dominoes. You put them up. You make them fall how you want to. But you are going to end up in a way of essentially everybody ends with the ending being gone, right? So, like one way I say this, in in a lot of ways, I think that Detroit is a better example as to what Rockstar pretends that they are going towards, which is this game of endless choice, but it's not. It's a game that is so driven by one thing because they're trying to tell a great story, and they did. They told a great story, but they did so at the cost of making the game feel like a cohesive whole. And so as much as I love the game and I really think on it, I'm like, yeah, I did. That was a great story, and I really love those characters. All of the weak points come from feeling disjointed. When I had fun out in the open world, it was in a way that felt wholly disconnected from what the story was trying to do otherwise, and it lost its sense of urgency. And I think that's why I often complain about open world games that try and do this, specifically Rockstar games, is that you can't create this false sense of urgency just to come back. Like, you can't say... And this is one of the earliest examples I can go into without going too spoilery. But in Chapter 2... You're supposed to be running from the Pinkertons, and you're like, okay, we can't stay here too long or cause too much trouble because the Pinkertons are going to find us, right? And that's this whole story thing. Yet, what do you do? If you want to, you can play the whole game, running around, killing people, stealing stuff. Uh, you can spend 30 hours in Chapter 2 if you want, 
and the Pinkertons don't come any closer to finding you because the story is not ready for them to come closer to finding you. Right. And, and that's an annoyance to me because it doesn't tie into the grand scheme of what the game is trying to say. Yeah. The game is trying to impress this sense of, A, you need to be good because we don't need to make too much of a mess. And, of course, the game itself makes you make a mess as you move along. But you can go be as messy as you want to as long as you're not doing it in service of the story and it doesn't change the fact that the Pinkertons aren't going to find you any sooner or later. Not only that, but there's also a big... It's, it's, it's not... It's it's just the way the game's made, but it, it's it's very present in Red Dead 2, which in Chapter 2, if you are to go explore and, say, go to Valentine, you can go do all that stuff by yourself. If the story leads you back there, they're going to treat you like you've never been there. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you got to go buy a gun now. Let me go show you where this is. I'm like, I've bought three guns now. And then it's like, go to the catalog and get a free gun. I'm like, I was like, I got a gun. Yeah. And it's like, buy the rifle, you my... have your inventory. Like, okay, it's free. It's my inventory. That's my exact example of in its effort to be so realistic in some areas and actually succeed. It's very when it's not realistic in other areas. In some of those areas, it ruins it yeah. because most of the time you're able to suspend disbelief in games because right. of the fact that there's a consistency of you understand the rules of the world, right? You're like, okay, well, that's going to be this way because it's a rule of how things are set up. But then these rules, there, there is no set rule in in Red Dead Two. They don't stick to them. That's just not what happens, and it's it's a shame because it leads to a game that I really enjoyed, but cannot be as as good of an experience. Because instead, God of War, which does get it, gets it from not only the gameplay but from the story and its focus, its narrative focus, its direction focus, its its pacing focus. Which, like Saul and I mentioned, there's a couple of parts that feel like they could have been shortened, but they all seem to be in service of this great thing at the end. Whereas Red Dead spends a lot of time doing things I don't feel are completely necessary. Right even in the actual story, but it all just feels disjointed. Whereas God of War feels like this cohesive whole of something that by the time you're done with it, you feel like you experienced everything that the game had to offer for the most part. And in a way that felt like everything in the world was meant to be together in that sense. And that I just didn't ever get, I was always my most frustrated with, with red dead when I would actually start to do some of the side stuff just to realize that I have full control there just to come back to the main story and realize I have no control. And it was this from what you're from what you're saying. I can pretty much agree. Um, since this is a more of a rock star trait and a trait yeah. that's very present early in the game as well. Um, now I will say that I really need to play through Red Dead Two before I give my final thoughts on it of any kind. But I still think it's a fantastic game, and I don't want to take away Rockstar from what you made. So congratulations to Rockstar, but even more so congratulations to um, uh, Sony Santa Monica. Yeah, because Corey, you made an amazing game, a masterpiece, one of my favorite games of this generation, within my top five, um, if not five, then ten. That's a whole list for a whole other day. But uh, any any closing thoughts or anything? Yeah, I guess like, to close off the Red Dead point, the reason that I even had to come to terms with this is that I said for a long time, and me and you've talked about it even on the podcast a few times. I never understood until I really stopped to think about it and really focus on what Red Dead Two was. I never stopped to focus on exactly why I stopped liking Rockstar games the same way as I did early on in the PS2 days. And this is kind of rem a reminder. And this was it. Yeah. Early on in the Grand Theft Auto experience, it was about a game of you running around and literally doing what you wanted to, even in the story. But as they they started trying to focus this narrative down, and it's why I think 4 was such a turning point for me. Because 4 was the first game in, in, in from, Grand Theft, uh, from Rockstar, really, that I'd played that was and definitely Grand Theft Auto that tried being two games at once. It tried pretending that you had ultimate control, but then never giving you that control. And and I remember now that's what are really it's really that I noticed now that's what four did that made me not like it. It took every bit of control I had, and it just 
And it made me change the way I was playing those games. And it was like, this is not what I like about Rockstar. So I, I say forever, Rockstar games lost me at some point. Now I know why and how and yeah. when. Makes sense. So, it makes complete sense. Yep. Anyway, I think that about closes this one off for us. Uh, so as we continue to do more, we look forward to your support. And hopefully we can uh, do some stuff that you enjoy. Uh, but hey, thank you for the... Uh, for sending in your votes to the community. We appreciate doing that. And I like looking at what the community answer is versus ours. Uh, and that's where I'm going to leave it. This has been a fun year and we it appreciate has. it. So we- Merry Christmas, spend time with your family. And we have one more episode for the year. Uh, I'll go ahead and tease essentially what we're going to do. This is an episode full of us talking about the games that came out this year. Uh, so what we're going to do with our last episode of the year, the most fitting thing I saw is to go ahead and talk about all the games that we were excited for, for next year. So. Yeah. So you guys enjoy time with your families. If you don't have any families, enjoy times with your friends and loved ones. And uh, we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you all for tuning in. And thank you all for a wonderful year of fun. Thank you. Thanks to our patrons, Chad V, Dan Barber, Josh Jarrell, <clears throat> Mikey 12. My name is Dan Douglas below Sean Santarude, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, the stonerd, Travis below, Blake Popes and Eduardo Palomino. If you would like to support us, the show, and anything that we want to do in the future, please continue uh, or click through the link in the description and do so. Thank you.